I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Bunched up like Christmas tree lights And I won't be able to sleep tonight If only I'd thought about this sooner I might have been able to subsist or subside Or at least get some relief Instead I'm here telling you things So I can feel better about myself I'm still in my head But off of my chest So I selfishly rest now Ah. Quite there 
They're getting warmer with all the mistakes and the slaps in our faces. Ah, baby, I don't know how much longer I can take this. Sometimes All the good stuff's long gone by the time I arrive Always What's your um, kind of Covid story then? Where, where, where were you at when it all happened and things like that? I mean I was down in Edinburgh when it all started kicking off and then I kind of headed back up to, to Aberdeen pretty promptly because i mean my lease was due up at the end of april anyway and i was like it's gonna be a nightmare trying to find a new flat you know when all this is kind of kicking off yeah i think at the time i thought i'm just gonna head home for a couple months but that's now turned into i don't know what's gonna happen because it still doesn't feel like a good time to go hunting for a flat Uh, yeah it's weird how things are easing like i'm like i'm not that comfortable like with all that stuff but i guess it's got to be done you know to get the economy back up and running and things like that yeah it's just complicated, eh? There's too many... There's a lot of layers to it and everything that's kind of going on and every decision that's being made. Frustrating one in some respects with some of the stuff that's kind of going on and the mass kind of reopening of everything in some ways, but... Mm. Yeah. I mean, America, like, jeez. Like, they're, like... They're in serious trouble over there, I think. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Like, what will happen if if things continue the way they do? But it's... um. Yeah, it's an odd time, man. Very, very It's weird. a very American response, isn't it? Just try, just try <laughs> to power through it with not much logic yeah. behind it. Did you see that video? Oh, Vanilla Ice. Did you see the video he put out yesterday? Oh, he's doing a show. Is it, has he done it already, is he? He's cancelled it, but the video that he put out cancelling it, he's wearing like a Keep Cam and Carry On t-shirt with like a, a hat with like the American flag on it. Jesus. And just like, oh, hopefully all this COVID crap will be over by Christmas and they'll have found a cure, you know? Jeez. <laughs> uh, it's quite funny though I mean, I, 
a lot of my a lot of my friends and family are like that, man. Like they're like, oh yeah, that seems to be the worst over, and I, well, I I just don't think so. I might be wrong, but the people that I've been following, like kind of experts, the guy, one particular guy called Michael Osterholm, he's been dead on since the start. Like he's um, did Rogan have co- him on? quite early on i think he did early yeah. on yeah i think that might have been where i came across him yeah i think it might have been but since like january he's been kind of calling it and he's been yeah he's been dead on so i i've been kind of following his lead on what's next and what he thinks might happen but yeah i reckon probably well, not this year any anyway. i don't think i'll be playing any gigs this year put it that no. way what's his predictions for the rest of the year what's he estimating then if he's kind of been spotting so far what does he think's coming next oh funnily enough his latest one was like I just don't know. There's no, <laughs> there's no way of knowing. But like, <laughs> he did say that a vaccine, like realistically, is if if it were to happen, is going to be at least another kind of year from now. Yeah. And he thinks that the cases are just going to keep coming and going. Like they're not going to go away. They're just going to kind of like kind of wave, if you like. He's quite good to avoid like kind of political stuff. He doesn't kind of give anyone a hard time ever not even trump but he'll kind of speak about what he thinks people shouldn't be doing when trump's you know said that and things like that but you know he's, he's very good he's he's got a podcast on spotify called the Osterholm update um does one a week and it's it's spot on like i listen to it in full um i might check week. that out i kind of need something like that i feel to kind of i mean it's good to get your uh your news sources from everywhere but it's good to have something like that you can kind of go to and just listen to once a week and for get sure. a bit of a summary yeah that's what it's like and he like because he's a and he's in america like he's in minneapolis like so a lot of the stuff is kind of america based but he kind of says you know it's it kind of it'd be more cases there but the percentages are roughly the same and things like that you know worldwide and yeah no he's good he's he did you're right yeah rogan had him on i think in early march i, I remember it being kind of just as it was starting to go a bit nuts I mean, you were kind of, a, I remember you, you were kind of a bit ahead of the curve because I feel like you kind of saw it coming before a lot of people I knew did because you kind of went into lockdown a couple of weeks before it all became official, didn't you? Were you? I was a wee bit early, yeah. yeah. I started getting a bit paranoid, but my, Helen's brother lives in Hong Kong with his wife and kid and they, um, they were telling us in January, like there's a flu type, SARS type thing going on here, like quite serious. But I think with Hong Kong, like, they kept it quite quiet like as they do like with things and they were just like keep an eye on it and then when it came to europe that's when i started freaking out a little bit just because as you know helen was sick when she was younger so she's actually on the shielding list now so i i mean we haven't been inside another building since the start of march like the only our house is the only building we've been in Uh, all our shopping gets delivered yeah i mean we go out and where we live is quite rural so there's not like you know there's no crowds or anything around here so we're quite lucky in that respect but yeah we've we've been very isolated i think a week or two ago we had kind of kind of social distancing in the garden that kind of thing but other than that it's been pretty uh pretty isolated have you become kind of more accustomed to it and find it a bit easier it's gone on or in all honesty it's not been a bad lockdown for me and i get that's a kind of shitty thing to say because it's a terrible thing that's going on like it sucks but my mental health is is doing great. Like I don't have to socialise, which I find which I find anxiety provoking. <laughs> you know, I don't have to work, which I hate. 
No, I mean it's it's not that. It's just yeah, I'm quite I'm quite comfortable doing this. Like I'm recording a lot, I'm writing a lot, and I I dare say I need to kind of work out some sort of strategy to kind of put some stuff out at some point. But I'm not in any real rush. I'm quite yeah. I miss having the guys like to play with and rehearse. That's uh, that's a thing for sure. I guess it would be a weird time to put out music now as well. I mean, I know a lot of people are, but I feel like at the start it felt more weird to be sticking out stuff when it was all this kind of horrible yeah. stuff going on. I know it is a, a couple of good albums have come out but i think a lot of the people are kind of tied like with the labels and things yeah. and obviously you've not got the tour to support and things like that it's yeah it's so it's so mental man it's never seen anything like this. yeah and i mean tours are kind of where you make your record sales now as well i mean as well as i know we always speak about how it's all live now and you get the money from the tickets the majority of where you're making your money on the records is is when you're selling them at shows and you're selling them on merch and with t-shirts and stuff and that's kind of all yeah gone it is it's it's <laughs> uh I mean, I like that people are doing creative things to try and keep the ball rolling. It's hard. Like they, like you say, the quality of Zoom and things like that, you can't just plug your phone in and do a gig. If, you, if you're going to do it, you need to kind of come up with some uh, a novel way of doing things. But it's um, I, I don't know what the new normal is going to be in terms of gigging and things, but I think it'll be a while eh, before it's... Next year, yeah. I was going to say, I think next year there will be gigs. I think even this year, man, I think there'll be some stuff going on, but my prediction is it probably gets shut down again if it does because no doubt that will lead to more cases and things like that i don't want that to be the case but i just i reckon it will be yeah i mean they were speaking about obviously you know they're saying oh scotland's almost down to like zero and stuff but then the, the issue is a lot of people can go with it without symptoms so how do you really know it's down to zero and then maybe you, you open everything back up and suddenly kicks off again and also like i think it's something like 75 or 80 percent of people get it mild anyway so if you've got it and it's kind of running running kind of willy-nilly with the young people they're passing it on and then the people don't get symptomatic for another week or two so you're just you're in this situation where like if it does hit again in scotland for example you know it's going to be too late before you can kind of do anything about it and yeah i mean yeah be a couple of weeks behind it i, I mean because yeah. they kind of they speculated a bit as well about it being here earlier than we thought as well haven't they like, although it was officially start of March, there's obviously the kind of talk that it could have been here, what was it, like beginning of February or something, people weren't sure? And... Well, they say November in Wuhan, they reckon, and I th- certainly there was a case in Seattle in January, if, if that's, that might not be accurate, but like, something like that, like someone had come over from uh, China to Seattle, so I mean, if that was kind of spreading then, in January, February, and then we found it in March, I mean, yeah, that's that's mental to think and people would have just assumed they had colds i reckon if they had uh if they were symptomatic well eh? i mean i last week uh last week of february i think it would have been no it was february 23rd was the first day for about a week and a half two weeks i had like the worst cough i've ever had like constantly like coughing for like yeah like a week and a half and just put it down to being a cold at that point but now looking back it's like if it was here from then could that have been yeah you don't know I mean, I was still going to gigs and stuff, like, when I was kind of coming down from that, like, uh, I don't know, it's, it's a weird one. I mean, I was, the last gig I did was, I think it was the 6th of March, maybe, and I called, like, round all the places that I kind of play regularly and said, like, look, I'm going to, I'm going to get people to cover for me for the next few weeks, just till we find out what's going on, and, like, one of the places actually was like, I think we'll just get someone else then, and I'm like, I've been playing there since I was, like, a teenager, and, uh, then he called me a few weeks later and apologised and said, I'm sorry, man, I just, I thought you were just having one of your 
kind of OCD kind of panicking or whatever. I was like, ah, I wish I was. Kind of, I wish that was the case. I think that kind of sums it up, though, in the way that everyone kind of approached it and thought about it. No one really regarded it as this thing that was going to go on and have a massive impact. I mean, we were quite naive, even when I was speaking to someone the other day, even when we saw it kicking off in Italy, we still didn't really think that it was going to happen here for whatever reason. Italy was crazy. Eh? That was the that was the weirdest thing. I I just thought I thought something else was going. I was just like, that's just the. But it was just that one region, wasn't it, in the north? Yeah. Have you still got family over in Italy? Yeah, my my dad was in Italy at the beginning of March and he came back and I was having some Chinese food and my his missus called me hysterical saying that he died, like for real. She was like, he's not breathing, like help, help, help. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what? And um, turns out he had a chest infection and I was like, no way. Like he was in hospital for a week. And they tested them for COVID three times and they all came back negative. I was like, he must have had it. And that was like a kind of a late kind of symptom. Because that just, I mean, yeah, he came back from Italy. I think it was the sometime around then, the beginning of March, kind of early March. And that was my first kind of, I was like, this is going to be, this is going to be the worst thing. Yeah, so I was, I've taken it on the chin early doors. And then like, he's fine, by the way. Sorry, he's, he's grand now. He's um, working again, but getting that early doors, I was like prepared for something bigger. So it's weird. You, do you know many people that have had it? It depends what you classes had it. Because when I well, when I had that thing like at the end of February, I then went over to Glasgow to see one of my pals, who then got it really badly off the back of that, who then gave it to his flatmate. And so it, it, there's a lot of people I know that kind of been ill around that time. But whether or not it was that, or it was just a really bad cold that was kicking about, you're never gonna know. Yeah, I wonder if they will, like with antibody testing, if they'll be able to tell if you've had it. I reckon that'll be the case someday, like, but I don't think that'll be a priority at the moment, really, because of the... It will depend on if, the, if people have had it and the antibodies can work towards a vaccine, potentially they'll be doing that. But I, I knew a few people that were in the same boat, they kind of were sick, but one of them was particularly sick and she was like, it must have been that because she just couldn't breathe. But I do, I do know some people in London that have had it. One girl was real sick. Like she was, she's only just recovering and she had it in early March. And she's only now starting to be able to go out and kind of breathe properly. So she, she got it really bad. And like a couple of friends uh, know people in London that have died, like young people. So it's, London got hit bad. Like uh, Yeah, it seemed to kind of be further ahead, but also worse than the rest of the UK. But that's what I find even more bizarre is that the fact that it kicked off so much worse there earlier on that they didn't then you know they engage that and think yeah i mean he they he they whatever you want to say like they've they've not done very well like the U- the uk in general the government like have not not had a good covid so far like it's been appalling man i mean you can laugh at some of the shit like the dominant cummins and that but like it's it's appalling like they're real bad yeah, no surprise of course i'm not a i wasn't a fan in the first place but like like real bad like I don't even know if it's going to change anything, though, do you think? Do you think it'll go on and have an impact in future about what happens with this government, say, come next election? It's so hard or? to say, man, like, because, like, I mean, I know people that are, like, that voted Tory, like, in England, like, slightly older people that do not like Boris and did not vote for Boris and think that it's been a shit show. So, like, potentially, like, it'll have an impact, like, but I don't know. I mean, it's clear to me, anyway, that, like, stuff that needed to change anyway has been kind of brought to the the surface a bit and hopefully it'll 
some things will improve, no doubt. Like, but not everything. Eh? Like, I mean, it's like a post nine eleven world. It's a post coronavirus world. It's going to be new shit going on. I mean, yeah, it's going to be. I think even more so than nine eleven. There's going to be stuff that is just going to really impact daily lives. It's going to hang around for possibly forever. Yeah, for sure. I mean, pre nine eleven, flying was so different. Yeah, like, no airport I mean, security. Right? Yeah, yeah, smoking on planes and stuff like. That. I mean. I I seen recently like a guy like an American guy was like yeah I used to be able to take my gun on a plane what like you would just put it in your bag yeah and I was like you must be joking it's like nah like you if you owned a gun legally you were allowed to take them on planes that's insane that's nuts that's insane did you see that couple with the guns online an American couple nah what was that two crazy gun owners like. You see them and you go, if there was ever two people that really, really shouldn't be allowed to own guns, those were the two people. And they just, there was people protesting, walking past, and they just were like, move along, move along, like, get the, and I was like, that's it, that's crazy that that's allowed to happen. Like, it's meant, the gun thing over there is crazy, man. I think when, yeah, it's one of those things that, because it's been around, like, as long as we've known, it's only when you actually, like, properly focus in on it and think about it, just how insane it is that everyone has Something that they could kill someone with quite easily. And it's just allowed to walk about with it. I mean, there is an argument for, like, responsible gun owners. Not that I'm for guns, but, like, there are people clearly that, you know, like anything, like a car is dangerous if you give it to people that can't drive. But you can't just allow people to walk into a shop and buy a gun, like any any person. Like, there needs to be... Well, personally, I'm I'm not really for guns, to be honest, but there, if you're going to have them, there needs to be some sort of bloody screening, mental health checks and... Things like that. I'm just going to move this light, man. It's quite weird. Yeah, so this is this is where I do all my stuff. It, it's a it's a nice little room. It's just great to have it on, you know, in my house. Like it's um, very, 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 very lucky to be in this situation. Is it uh, soundproof? Yeah, the guy that had it before, they he was like a kind of he had a little band that like, I think they were like a little bit older and it was more like a hobby thing that they did. But he'd have friends round and they would jam here and stuff. So it's pretty like there's no house that way and over that way is like a part of our house that like there's like a toilet there and then so last night Helen said like she heard one track before she fell asleep but like she didn't hear a thing after so and none of the neighbours yeah because you were recording what what I remember you I mean I think you sent it there about three in the morning or something quarter (laughs) to four I think I I spent a wee bit of time mixing but yeah I I was I was doing it late like I was uh, I was I I didn't spend like all night on it I started quite late but I was it was just one of those days just stuff going on and uh, I I wanted to be in the right frame of mind because like there's nothing worse than recording when like I'm just not feeling it like if I'm just not ready or I feel like I have to do it like I as much as I love some studios that I've been in I, I don't I don't like recording in that environment like I just I'd rather do it in my own time even if it is like an acoustic session or whatever it's just I don't know it's just easier it's just more comfortable to do it that way do you work better at night do you find or is it different working at night in any I way? do I do a lot at night yeah it's different I think just there's less distractions I think that's what it is really fewer distractions it's but during the day I, I tend I mean I do work during the day as well it, it does change I do I do like the night time yeah I think there's a slightly different mindset as well isn't there it at night i don't know what it is though i can't really put my finger on it it's just it's a slightly different from a mind especially if everyone else has kind of gone to sleep yeah. in the house and you're partying about and like as well just weird things like just friends that are other parts of the world might get in touch you know what i mean and that's like a cool thing like my friends 
I've got some friends in Australia, America, whatever, and they come on like Messenger or whatever and chat. And I, it's, yeah, it's it's just different. It's just like I don't really have a regular schedule. Like it, most people work during the day, they go to work, and I don't. Like, I don't have that. It's a, it's a very different kind of schedule. So I, yeah, just always enjoyed kind of batting down the hatches at night and uh, doing my own thing. Nice Aberdonian uh, sunset coming in. Of course, right. So you're up in Aberdeen then, yeah. I'm back up here. I like, like you were saying earlier, about how you can kind of cut about in a more rural area, rural area and there's not many people come, uh, you know, going around. Yeah. I like that. I like yeah, that aspect sure. of it. Come what, 10 minutes and you're in fields and there's like nobody kicking about. It's so good for you, man. I, uh, being out in nature and all that kind of thing. Like, I, there was a quote um, Helen told me today. It was like, spend 20 minutes a day in nature. Unless you're really busy. If you're really busy, spend an hour a day in nature. And I was like, That's, I like that. It's just uh, a nice... It's true. It does you the world a good man. Your mental health and all that, you know, just... You know, it's, I mean, we've got, like, farm farmland around here because we moved out of Edinburgh. We are like, maybe a... It's about a half-hour drive, something like that, to the, the centre of Edinburgh. So, like, I mean, I just... There's, like, horses and cows and like... I love going and talking to those guys. <laughs> that's kind of up, that's kind of optimal distance, so like a half hour drive. That's kind of the perfect zone where you're not too far from the city, but also you're far enough out that yeah. you've got that kind of nature next to you. Go for a walk about and not see anyone. It's just nice. Yeah, it's nah, nice it to be outside, but also to be alone. Like normally, I think you can have associate side, you know, going out and seeing people, but it's nice to go out and just get a bit of space to yourself that isn't you know inside a room. Should we have a, a scroll through? Because you've done a, a playlist for this to go through. Am I right? It's is it the all time favorites number eighty five was the one you did the two covers off of? So that's yeah yeah that's the one. I wasn't sure actually if you were gonna go with the the newer one or that one, but that's yeah that's cool. Yep, that's good for me. Yeah, I thought I'd go with the same one you did the covers off of just so it kind of ties in. So it's how many tracks? Is it eighty five tracks or is it just number eighty five? I think it's just number eighty five. Yeah, I've got a thing about the year nineteen eighty five. In what sense? I don't know what it is. It's like a lot of cool things happen that year. Like Back to the Future is my favourite film. That came out that year. And a lot of good songs. I think there's a lot of songs off that playlist from 85, actually. It's a good uh, Wing song, 1985. I don't think I know it. What album is it on? Uh, Band on the Run. Don't know it. It's just 1985. Nah, so it's like the it's written out like the, the date, like... 1985. Oh, 1985. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know that one. Oh man, just check that out. Are you, are you big wings, or are you not? Are you more Lennon than McCartney? No, no, I I do. I like I like his solo stuff uh, generally. The song "Band on the Run" I know well. I don't know the album very well. I had I had it on vinyl. Like, my, well, my dad had it on vinyl when I was a kid, but I just don't remember it. I discovered um, my dad's uh, vinyl collection of a lockdown, and it was quite it was it was quite weird because I remember being 14 and going through it. And thinking there's not much here that's very you know decent, and then going through it now when I'm 19 and like finding all this stuff that's just amazing, like all those old Gary Newman records and like Lou Reed and I'm trying to think what there's a lot of Talking Heads, Good Taste, Duran Duran, love a bit of Duran Duran, but there was just a lot of cool stuff. It was, it was weird that kind of five year gap and kind of finding all the stuff that I liked in it that before I just hadn't really given a second glance to a lot of my f- early early music was uh my parents vinyl um similar stuff a lot of 80s 70s 80s and i i listened to that to death long before i had like music of my own and um it got stolen it got stolen about 10 years ago from like because he still had the i same think i remember you telling me this actually yeah did so, you have it like in a big like uh, a shed or like a, a locker space a lockup <clears throat> yeah he had it in a lockup and it got chored 
which uh, sucks. Yeah. Did, that's weird. Did they know it was in there? I don't must, know. Nah, I don't know, they man. Must have broken it random. I think or... like it, they weren't the only things that were stolen. I mean, there was a lot. There was a lot. Like, but there was like boxes of other things. I reckon. I mean, who knows? Maybe it was left open. Maybe just opportunists kind of. You know, so look, look into this playlist. I wanted to ask about you put the Velvet Underground. I find a reason, but you went for the demo version as opposed to the full one. It's an interesting demo because it's quite kind of Dylan esque, isn't it, with the kind of harmonica? Yeah, and stuff. it is Dylan. I, I, I don't know why I picked that one. I, I mean, I, I like the album a lot, but I always preferred that version of the song for some reason. I don't know why. I just always liked. I didn't like the. The finished one is much. Is that the last Velvet Underground album? Uh, well, with him on it, I think, yeah, nineteen seventy, I think maybe. I know he didn't like it. He didn't like it at all. He said it was like a steaming pile of shit or something like that. I don't know, but I think I'd maybe put it second top after the first one. I've got quite a big soft spot. Is it White Light White Heat? Is that the name of the album, or is that the opening track? No, no, that's the album. Yeah, no, that's another one of my favorites. Yeah, that's like quite short, isn't it? Like eight tracks on that. I think one. it might even be less. I think it's like six. Because it's got some big, big songs on it. It's got a really good spoken word song on it about the guy who tries to post himself to his girlfriend. Oh, yeah. What's that called? I'll look, I'm going to look it up. But I remember, I think he tries to post himself <laughs> yeah. to his girlfriend and then she basically digs into it with a box cutter and I, I don't think it ends very well. I think for me, the Velvet Underground came from the Strokes for sure. Like That's where I, that connection came from. I don't think I knew much about them before that because he was a huge fan, I think. Yeah, I mean, you can hear a lot of it in his kind of delivery and stuff and the guitars and things. Yeah, Waiting for My Man, that one. That's oh, such that a good song. That reminds me of the modern age or something like that, yeah. I actually, I was listening to, what's the Tom Petty song as well? The American Girl, it's just Last Night. Yeah. They kind of just repurposed the rest. Oh, last, yeah, sorry, I thought you were oh, saying no, no, you listening sorry, to yeah. Last Night. Yeah, yeah. I think I remember, like, in an interview, him saying that, like, oh, yeah, I guess it does kind of sound a bit like that. But, and then he kind of brushed it off and said, oh, it was meant to sound like something else i find it kind of although there's obviously a lot you know people kind of get criticized for it i do find it quite interesting when you take something like a riff and completely like repurpose it in a different time and use it in like a song from a completely different era yeah, and course. style it's, it's quite cool how you can take that and you know completely redo it absolutely man there's no that's not plagiarism eh? like to like you know just take an idea and do your own thing with it and people have been doing it since since pop music began you know like that's probably where most pop music comes from like blues and classical and things like that and like you say repurposing and recycling it's a good it's a good thing to do you've got love minus zero on here as well that's it i think that's the one dylan song on this playlist is, is there it? only one on that one is thought, i think it's yeah i'm pretty sure it's just the one it's an interesting one that's my wow. favorite uh, dylan record but it's an interesting one to go for i just like the song yeah like i same with the album it's up there for me it's definitely top well, I mean, it it changes. The thing with Dylan and the Beatles and stuff like that, it's like it changes. It's like people say, like, oh, that's the best or that's the best. Like, for me, it does change. Like, But, like, bringing it all back home, Blood on the Tracks, Blonde on Blonde and Highway 61, I think, are my general. But, yeah, they, it does, like, there's other, you know, a lot of later stuff's great. Like we were saying the other day. I was going to say, I think I would chuck Time Out of Mind in there. In that kind of top part. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but that kind of comeback record, was that the one you kind of returned on? That was quite late on. I think Blood on the Tracks was the big comeback one to, like... I mean, obviously I wasn't around, but, like, I think that was his kind of return to form because he'd done kind of questionable ones for for a few years after... I guess after Blonde on Blonde, 
He I think done... he gets. I'm gonna look it up. I think he gets stick for that, but I'm pretty sure there's a lot of good records in there. There's certainly a lot of good songs for sure. Um, there's just a couple. He done. What's that Christian record called? The kind of. The kind of. I'm gonna look it up. Oh, is it, is it uh, new? So after after Blonde on Blonde, he goes into John Wesley Harding, which is a good album. That's yeah, a good record. yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. New Morning's a good record as well. New Morning's the the one with Man. The Man in Me. Man and Me, which yeah. is like one of his best songs. The Pat Garrett, Billy the Kid soundtrack's really good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Before the Flood is the, the one, isn't it? Is that not the Christian record? That would that would make sense. <laughs> that, I'm, I'm going on, I guess. No, it's a live album, actually. I've just clicked on it. Oh, right, okay. There is one. I, I think just when you compare like some of those to, you know, Highway 61, Bring It All Back Home, even, I mean, even um, Freewheeling and stuff, you know, I know those are early. I mean, they were Freewheeling's great. Incredible, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's his. Yeah, that's kind of considered his kind of best work, isn't it? Like for me, it is anyway. That's that's probably the other one in the kind of top, the general top five freewheeling as well. Should we lead into one of your covers off of that playlist then? Yeah, absolutely. I think the first one I was gonna put on was "Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow." Oh yeah, the Shirelles. What what is it about that's why? Actually, the two covers that you picked for this. Why did you go for those two? In terms of kind of messing them up on the acoustic style and going for that. I played about seven or eight songs last night and a couple of them just weren't sounding quite... Because I have not been gigging, eh? Like, I've not been playing live at all. You know, I, I'm not match fit. So I was just kind of picking... I played... What else did I play, actually? I might have played... Oh, did I, I might have played Up the Junction. I played a couple of, of my other ones as well. And just, yeah, they just... They sounded good. I, like, I love the songs. Will, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow is, like, for me, almost a perfect pop song. I mean, you think about when it was done... And just the way it sounds and the strings. Yeah, it's just a really, really beautiful pop song, I think. Tonight you're mine completely You give your love so sweetly Tomorrow 
So tell me now And I won't ask again Will you still love me tomorrow? Will you still love me tomorrow? Will you still love me tomorrow? Are you used to Zoom now then? Do you find it quite like normal or are you still... In terms of doing podcasts and stuff? Well, more socialising actually, like kind of... Do, or do you see people more? Now? I see people more. I, I really don't like Zoom. I'm not a... No, no, uh, it's all... I, I like it for speaking to people like from Edinburgh. Like, I'll chat to pals there. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just not a massive fan of virtual contact, I guess, anyway. I don't mind texting because texting is kind of different altogether. Like It's like a different kind of style of conversation. It's different enough that it... It kind of takes on its own form of language, I guess, but I feel like video calls and phone calls are kind of weird in between, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's weird. It is, yeah, it's weird. It's weird. It's very, I think, like, the technology is great. It was science fiction in the 80s and things like that to think about being able to talk to people, like, on a screen in your hand. You look at, um, is it like 2001? They've got it in that, and it's weird. Like, they've got FaceTime in it. Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's, so, uh, it's so weird what they got right. Like, so many things... Like the science fiction writers, I mean, it's hard to keep track of technology when you're just living through it because it just kind of evolves and you don't really, it's like your hair growing, you don't really see it happen. 20 years, what things are going to be like, you know, I, I can't wait to see what, what happens with it. But it's in its early stages for sure. I mean, glitches and like bad sound quality. I think when that's a thing of the past, it'll probably be a, a better experience. And yeah, VR will probably. That's a thing, actually. I'm surprised VR hasn't kind of upped its game during kind of lockdowns. I would have thought they'd have, you know, tried to capitalise a bit. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing I've always kind of felt is coming next. It feels like the next kind of frontier, doesn't it? That's going to be on the horizon. I think so, yeah. Once we're able to sit in a room like this and kind of just, you could be sitting across from me in another chair there, but we're not actually in the same room. We've just got like, I don't know, lenses in or something or a pair of glasses on and it just looks. Totally, like and like, like kind of touchpads and stuff. I reckon the whole thing, like, just like... Matrix style, you actually feel like you're there. Why not? I mean, it'll surely go that way. For it, yeah, it just depends how long it'll take, or if we make it that far, based on how the world is currently. Um, yeah, cool. I know. I know. It's. Uh, I mean, we were speaking the other day that it feels like COVID is almost a precursor to something like something else is coming, but it's hard to tell what. I mean, yeah, it's incredible. Like what's gonna happen during COVID? Like just kind of politically and kind of socially. It's it's uh. I dare say, like, a lot of it's to do with that as well, you know, just because of the fact that people are, you know, locked in and, yeah, social media, I mean, social media is crazy. It's such a weird thing. Like, it's great. Like, I love it. But it's, I think people have gone crazy because of it as well. I think people have just, yeah, it's weird. I'm not massively on it, eh? Like, I don't really do social media. I think we were speaking the other day about how it's weird that it has evolved from something where you would, you know, share photos of your kids or whatever, or share that the fact that you've passed university. You would you would post these little life moments to share with people, and it's gone from that to everyone expressing their opinion on everything twenty four seven, and it's it is it's a bit jarring, I think, to a certain extent. It is. It's definitely it's like anything, man. Like any technology, I think it's it's got its good and it's bad. And for me right now, like the way people are with social media i just i think it's very unhealthy and that's 
it's not a unusual opinion, but it's quite an unpopular one because everyone does it. I mean, I I use it, eh? Like I do use it. I just don't. I don't engage the same way as most people I know engage with it. I just, I can't, I, can't, I just can't be bothered. Like, <laughs> go on there, and it just drives me crazy. Like people's opinions on things, and like they think it matters, and like suddenly everyone's a fucking expert on like epidemiology now because like they've read a thing, and it's I don't know. You know, I sound like a grumpy old man, but I just think it is extremely unhealthy the way people are on there with photos and... Yeah, I don't know. I've got a weird relationship with it because I kind of... I mean, from the moment I went into like secondary school at 12 years old, social media was a thing. Like Everyone had it. And I kind of grew up with it. Yeah. But then in the same way that... you know, I remember when I was 13, 14, I used to play my PlayStation all the time and now I don't play it at all. You know, I've kind of grown out of it. I kind of feel like the same thing's kind of happened with social media a bit like over the last year that I've kind of just gotten bored of it and I don't really see the point of it I like using it I think it's a really good platform and a tool to share things with people like in regards to like the site and stuff like I wouldn't be able to do it without it but I mean if you go like on my own Facebook apart from stuff about the site there's there's nothing else I don't really share anything I've not got a personal Twitter my Instagram's like dead it's got like a Simpsons character as the profile picture and and that's it I don't know it's just it's a, I like it as a tool but I don't really feel the need to post stuff yeah living your life off it's weird i mean like whatever man that's what people want to do like i just think it's unhealthy i think it's just but you're right the tool aspect of it is i mean you can't you can't really do without i'm just the thing because i don't use it very much personally like i'm really bad at it like so i'm not like i don't know what to do (laughs) i don't know what i'm meant to do for certain things so i don't utilize it as much as i should and i'm kind of the plan is to get better at that but but yeah, you're right. It needs you. You need it. You absolutely need it. Um, I remember you saying about that, like when you turn up to a venue, like a lot of bands, you know, like post a put picture of the venue to try and get start generating the buzz. But that you were kind of saying that's just not like in your. It's not your instinct, almost. Like bands now, it is an instinct. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's, it's, it, I mean, it, it probably it would be better if I did do that. Like, and certainly, like when I was in uh, the band before, some other guys like were were good at it. And the first thing they do, they get to a venue, like, hey, we're here. Like check the venue out, and I'm like, I like that. You know, if I if I follow a, an artist, I like when, but I just don't like you say have that instinct where I can reach from my phone. Yeah, I mean, I, like I do use it a lot. I'm on the thing is, ironically, I'm on there a lot. Like I I follow a lot of comedians and scientists, <laughs> and but that that's kind of when it becomes a platform for good because it's not it's not like rubbish and like pointless stuff. It's stuff that's kind of adding a little bit of value to your life. If you know what I mean. I think I like to I like to think so. Yeah, that's the idea. I mean, don't get me wrong, man. Like I've watched thousands of videos of cats and fights and like people having arguments and like you know I I've done everything that everyone else has done. I just I just don't do it all the time. That's the only difference. I just don't really use it very much. I find it I find it very. But it's weird. bizarre as well the impact like it's had on music and the way that bands kind of run themselves and even just in terms of like the way that songs are now. But every everything's got to be a single. And it's just this kind of instantaneous thing. Yeah. But I don't know if that's good or bad. Or... I, I'm going to say it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> just, just to, no, I mean, I, I get it, man. I get things need to be like packaged and like need to be like, you need to be able to sell them to people. But like, I've always been a fan of the kind of, you know, the long form. Like I like listening to albums. I like listening to like three hour discussions um, or talks or whatever. And I think that's gone and I, I I think that 
is potentially quite dangerous. Like if people just, you know, if you just read a headline or if you just read like an article rather than the, the, the bigger picture, it can it can be quite dangerous. Yeah. I mean, I noticed it with the, the site and stuff as well. Because, I mean, someone was saying to me recently, like, oh, I, I like the fact that you write like a proper like thousand, two thousand word review as opposed to just like a couple paragraphs. And it, it's, like, yeah. it, it's good that you enjoy that. But at the same time, I think there's like a quite a lack of interest for something that's like that kind of size, if you know what I mean. It doesn't feel like that's what people want anymore. It feels like people do want the... 10 things or whatever you know yeah i think i think you're right to listen to yeah the short attention span thing like just it's all kind of just next you know three minutes bang bang bang. that's nothing new i mean pop songs were always relatively short you know if you listen to will you still love me tomorrow i I don't know the exact time but it's got it can't be any much more than three minutes i don't think i guess it was to do with the way that the i remember reading about this but it's to do with the way the vinyls are pressed that they used to play on radio stations that they couldn't be more than three minutes Huh. Which is why, which is why radio edit started, right. because the way that the records, uh, it must have been a high res record, or whatever. The way that they span it, they couldn't go over like three, three and a half minutes or whatever. There was a time limit on it, which is why radio edits came in and songs had to be cut down to that length. I didn't know that. Well, there you go. I thought it was just like for the same reasons as now, just like quick, get out the door, like next. And I mean, it's hard though because, like you say, most people do like want just you know like a, a single single you know next and you can't argue with that that's the way it is but i i guess i just kind of do my own thing <laughs> like a lot of my songs are quite long eh? like so like and often like if i'm recording with someone they'll say oh we'll cut this section out and we'll do that and i and i, I totally get it like i understand but i just kind of feel like if, if someone doesn't like it it's kind of their problem or my problem as well <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean though but the the moment you start trying to do stuff for other people you're fucked like as soon as you start trying to appeal to a market that's when it kind of goes tits up a lot of the time because it's it's not genuine and people sense it straight away i think yeah there's definitely a balance i mean we talked about dylan's new album the other day like i like it a lot but i wasn't a massive fan of that you know murder most Thou song i actually really like that track i think that's one of my it doesn't feel like a long song to me. I know it's 17 minutes, but I think because it goes through so many kind of variations and different... It's, there's something impressive about something of that scope, I think, as well. Like, it's hard it's not to It's certainly feel... impressive, man. He's, it, it's typical him, for sure. Like, the first thing he does in, like, five years is a 17-minute track. You know what I mean? That's a perfect example of why you really don't need to have a three-minute song. But I suppose it depends what your objective is, you know, if you're trying... To... I went to number one as well. I know. Yeah, yeah. I remember I read an interview with him, the only interview he did her in the record, and the guy asked him, that, are you surprised it went to number one? He went, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was all he replied with, just the one word. Uh, did it feel like it was like that when you were in the OK Social Club before? Or is that something you feel is quite recent, you know? But you know the way it's so geared now towards uh, this kind of attention-grabbing thing? I mean, I think we were probably uh, guilty of that, to be fair. like we, were, we definitely knew what we were trying to achieve. There was, you know, keep it short, keep it fast. That was our thing. So yeah, maybe it was a, like maybe that's a bit of a rebel against that to a degree because you know looking back on your on it on any old stuff that you do, you're always kind of uh, well, I am anyway. Like oh, I could have done that better or whatever. So I think yeah. But do you mean like when I was in the band, did I notice that happening? Yeah, I mean, did it did it start to feel like it was shifting? Yeah, I think so. We were right in the midst of it. So like when we were kind of doing like our first kind of official single around that time streaming was starting to get more popular but most people were still buying stuff like on itunes uh, and cds as well we 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 uh 
we shifted a lot of CDs. I've got a bunch here, to be fair, that are still gigging around. This was only eight years ago as well. Like this is, but this is the weird kind of jarring thing is that it changed very quickly, and I thought it was like kind of like a two, three year bit when suddenly everything shifted and it became streaming. I remember Chris uh, in the band saying to me, "He's like, like, don't bother with physicals and stuff anymore. Just not like it's all going to be streaming." I was like, "Really? Like, people are just going to give music away and no one's going to pay?" He's like, "Yeah, that's you're going to have to get used to it." And I was like, "Not." And I, like I do now, like I do have Spotify, but I probably I'd say I actually do more business on Bandcamp and Spotify genuinely. I don't know if that's because of the, the you know the small fan base I've got are loyal people and they buy it and they want to support, which is like heartwarming in this day and age. But like you have to have Spotify, you know. You, yeah. Well, you don't have to, but like most people were telling me, you know, get a Spotify, put your stuff up because you can get playlists and things like that. So you do. To a degree, you need to play the game, but I'm certainly now I'm starting to wonder about like what I'm going to do for my next release if I'll if I'll even bother with Spotify or just do some physicals or like a Bandcamp thing with B sides. Like I'm a fan of B sides. Like what happened to B sides? <laughs> I know. I mean, when you look at some of the B sides from history, like how soon is now was a B side, and there's a lot of look at all the Oasis B sides, like the Blur B sides, and yeah. Beatles as well, they 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 done B sides and yeah, I mean it was a big thing. Like certainly like CDs, that was huge. Like when you'd buy a band single and there'd be like two or three songs that weren't on the album, I'd buy the single. Like I'd paid for the single because I wanted to hear those other songs and there was no internet, you know, to download them. So, and I like, I've always been a fan of that idea, but it's working out how to do that. Like how would you do? Maybe like maybe put singles on Spotify with like two other songs as part of a you know, as part of a package, and that's your single. So it's like a mini EP, and then when the album comes out, it's, you know, however I mean, I've is. noticed something that people start doing now is that with every single they release, they put the other single beneath it. So the first single for the album will come out, and then when the second one comes out, the first single will be the B-side. And I, I think I think, what, oh, right. I think what it is is so that as soon as you finish listening to that new single, it goes straight onto the last one and then gets them another stream. It's like it kind of it right. keeps it ticking over, if you know what I mean. Yeah. All the algorithm stuff and that, I mean, it absolutely does work. It's definitely, you know, that is the business model now. I mean... But that's depressing. It's an algorithm that decides. It is, de- it is it's depressing. Not, it's, it's not even a person. It is what it is, man. I don't, like... I don't, I'm not saying it's wrong. I, I'm just not a fan of that model. And it, the good thing for me is that it absolutely will change. Whatever it changes to, it might be worse. But, like, it definitely won't... Like, eventually people are going to go, you know what, I'm not... I'm not recording an album for two years or however long you take and then putting it on a site where people just pay a tenner a month. You know, I think there will be a shift away from that and some people already are, I think, but... I can't believe the music industry let it happen. Like that That's what... I guess, I don't know, it just feels slightly bizarre that it doesn't really feel like there was much pushback to it when it originally started, if you know. I don't know if that feels accurate to you. No, I, I agree. I, I'd kind of always say, and people were just like, you know, well, that's that's just the way things are now. Like, get, like I say, get used to it. I don't, I don't get it either, man. I don't know. I, I think they probably are the industry themselves are probably to blame, because you know, in the I guess like the nineties, there was so much money thrown at bands. You know, like you'd have a huge band on a label, and then you'd have like another ten or fifteen bands that were still relatively big. But as long as that main band was selling millions, they would just chuck, you know, fortunes at all these new bands to record, to go on tour, and probably just ate itself, you know, after after a bit of time, I reckon. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, is it not only 10% of records make money back? Is it even 10? But yeah, I or think I've heard profit. something like that before. Yeah, it's like, it's a small amount. And so many got shelved as well. So many that like, you know, they chucked, I don't own the numbers, like say 25 grand to record an album at a band in 1997 or something. And then it would never see the light of day. They just shelve it because for whatever reason, I guess, like... Didn't like it. Didn't want to waste... I guess that you can lose more money on it if you put it out, which is where that thinking comes from. Probably, yeah. Even though it's quite depressing. (laughs) It is. It'll be interesting to see the way things go. I mean, I'm working on an album. I'm taking my time with it. But I really would like to do something different with the release. And I haven't haven't really even kind of considered... Other than the kind of you know, having physicals of some description and, you know, doing like the B-side thing. I don't really know what I'm going to do or even how I'm going to do it at this stage. I might, I'm just kind of demoing. Are you going to do it at home? Cause are, you, are you thinking about going to a studio or just do it from the, the home setup? Just before lockdown, I was I was about to go in to record a single. I was genuinely, you know, um, are you aware of, the, you know, the song Sweet Tooth? It was an older song of one of the EP. It's on. Yeah, you started the, the live stream you did for us with that, I think, didn't you? The vintage one, I'm pretty sure it was the first Yeah, 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 that's right, of course, yeah, the set. So yeah, I was I was going to put that out as a single. So I, I had um, made like a track and Graham at Chamber Studio, my friend Graham Young, he'd uh, put the thing together and we cut it up and I was probably a couple of weeks away from kind of getting uh, Gordy and Scotty to go in and put down a rhythm, the, the bass and drums. And then, yeah, I was just going to do like a kind of standalone single but put a bit more into it and see how it went do a push behind it and then do yeah. another single after that yeah but obviously that's that just didn't happen so i just started recording some new stuff and it's like i like it like i like the new stuff so i'm just gonna see how that goes you know depending on when things you know i'm kind of back out in the world i might re-record stuff in the studio or i might um just take what i've got and let someone in a studio kind of add to it and mix it and things like that did you do the two okay social club albums at chamber is that what they were done we did yeah yeah that, they were both done there we recorded a couple of songs at other studios we scrapped them because like someone left and we changed some of the parts and it was just complicated so then i ended up meeting graham and we yeah we cut everything there yeah that's right both albums were done there I had, a, I had a question I felt like the people needed an answer to in, in regards to the OK Social Club. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, uh, is it true you bribed some undercover cops with a copy of the first album? We got, <laughs> we had done a gig uh, somewhere. We had, we had this massive van that we called Harvey. And is this the van that was a bit of a death trap? Yeah, it really was. Like it went on fire and stuff. It was like seriously had some crazy. Fuck. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was crazy, like crazy. It broke down maybe like four or five times. Like for real, broke down where we had to call someone out, hire a new van. Like we lost so much money on that van. <laughs> like tour, like tour. I say tour, like gigging. We we do like a run of gigs. Like we do like a London show and then maybe like Wakefield and then somewhere else and somewhere else. It was just like a, a small run of gigs that we put on ourselves. But yeah, the van had break down and then we'd have to hire a van that day. And, you know, like the whole the four gigs were costing us like 1,200 quid. It was insane. It was so silly. Uh, but yeah, we got pulled over and we got pulled over because the drummer went for a piss. But I dare say that wasn't the worst thing that was going on. Like we had like a, a group of people in the back and... Yeah, like, um, there might have been some weed. Like Anyway, the cop pulled us over, and I was driving, so I was like, like, I'm really sorry about the guy pissing. Like, we've just we've done this, we just not, we just released our first album. 
you don't have much money and I was like there's a copy and he's like oh thanks very much and he was just a nice guy <laughs> like he probably just thought like why am I wasting my time with these clowns and just sent us on our way but like yeah that's that's a true story what kind of a, a feeling do you get when you think back to that period when you were kind of kicking about with that band and doing those two records what's the main kind of feeling that encapsulates it it's a good time to ask that question because I've had a bit of time like if you'd asked me like a year after we broke up I would just be kind of gravitating towards the kind of worst of it because like ultimately the last you know probably the la- the best part of the last year was just just sucked because like the, like the van we got rid of the van and like like I don't know it just wasn't working out but that just happened but the times like yeah we had a good time man like the guys that you know that were in the band like there was other people before that so it had been going for been going for a few years before we even released like any of the stuff that's online now like we'd had a couple of EPs with other people and some self-release stuff so I mean it was it was fun it was just a it was a fun band and like I've got a lot of great friends from it and played some incredible shows and never really I think we were we were keen to like do well eh? like that was the thing is like at the time you pretend you don't you're like oh no I just doing it for the music man like you don't care about that stuff but you do you're trying to do well you want to play big gigs and you want a lot of people to come and see you and like like now with the social media stuff we just didn't do the the boring shit that you kind of need to do if you want to do well and I think that probably started getting a little bit frustrating you know just not really we were just kind of going around in circles the gigs were kind of similar and the kind of tours were costing a lot of money to do just like I was saying about that van thing so but all in all man it was a great experience and like probably should have called it a day a few months earlier that's all I'd say about that it was it was going kind of shit like towards the end and it's fine now I mean we're all f- I speak to all the guys individually now I don't know if they're all in touch with each other uh, separately but like I'm certainly in touch with all the guys from from the four that were on the two albums anyway there was there was some other guys as well that maybe I don't speak to anymore I was thinking about that the other day I was speaking to Helen about bands and I was like I always end up with like a dick or someone doing this and someone always leaves and I was like you know what it's I'm I'm the problem it's me that's the problem I'm the common denominator here was that your first band or was that what band no was I that? was in a band like real band was uh, a band called Potbelly which was probably uh, I'm trying to think now so I would have been 17 when I met them and they were all in their like early to mid 20s so they really like they really showed me like the rope they showed me what being in a band was like like I just I moved out of my house I think I was 16 17 and I slept on in the lounge for like two years just gigged all the time we'd done like 80 gigs in our first year but the funny thing is there's just no there's no uh, evidence of it that was kind of they were really ahead of the curve like they were really into like tech stuff they were all kind of computer tech guys by trade and they had kind of adapted it to like things so they had had like a website a band website with streaming and things long before social media was a, a thing but it never i think we were just the timing was wrong that was my first band potbelly they kind of fizzled out and then i made a new band called kiddo kind of the bones the bones of that band kind of like held together and then we changed the name from Kiddo to the OK Social Club in like 2007 or 8 or something like that and done the EPs so effectively it's just been one band since like <laughs> 2000 or something that's just kind of changed but nah I mean it's not it's all it's all different songs and things like that you know so funnily enough man someone got in touch with me 
I just remembered this just now, about five days ago, and asked for one of the Potbelly songs from... I mean, it was 2002, man. Like, I was a child. Like, and I was like, I don't have it, man. I, he was like, there was this great song that you did. It was called, like, one or whatever it was. And I was like, that's... I wrote him a massive mail and said, like, I'm really flattered, but I'll I'll have it on CD somewhere and I'll, I'll send it to you when I find it. But I haven't found it yet. But, like, that just goes to show you, man, like... It's a weird world where everything is documented now and everything... Yeah, once it's on the internet, you can't get it off. Like, no matter how hard you try, it'll always kick about somewhere. Did, did you not play Team the Park or something with Potbelly? Uh, we played uh, Gig on the Green. We got on TV. We were on TV in between Green Day and Iggy Pop. <laughs> was that was it you who like watched the Stroke side stage or I, I watched them side stage at Gig on the Green, not really knowing anything other than I'd heard last night on the radio. And I was like, oh, those guys. I wasn't really that into them. Eh? I, it, I was into the Strokes way after they were like they were like the kind of in thing. Like I just I was like, oh yeah, I like that last night song, but I didn't get the album for like maybe like two years, man. I was I wasn't fussed. to be fair. The first time I heard the first time I heard that record, I wasn't like blown away by it. It was a record that definitely grew on me. But I mean, there's a few records that same as um, Pet Sounds, Beach Boys. First time I heard that record, it didn't didn't get it 100% and now it's like one of my favourite albums. It's I weird that some records can grow on you like that. That goes back to what we were talking about, the short attention span thing. I think if you take anything that's considered by any kind of like top 100 list, if you take any of those albums and you give it like a two-week listen and you really get into it, you're going to find stuff you like. But I find these days, again, a lot of people are just like, nah, I don't like it. Nah, you know, thirty seconds, nah, not for me. And the thing is, like, I think people should give it a chance to grow on them. You don't necessarily have to like something, but I think if you just give it a chance, like before you decide that you hate it, <laughs> you know what I mean. People don't even finish songs anymore. People will tune out like after a minute or whatever if they're if they're not into it. Especially if you've got like a slow build. Like, can you do a slow build song anymore? Can you do a song where you build to one massive final bit? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's this, it's the same deal, man. I think it's just. You know, uh, a headline or a kind of spin, it's it's easier to just kind of have an opinion based on a, a, a very small amount of words or or music or whatever. And it would be better if everyone just had more time to, to, to let it, you know, let it settle and then decide. I mean, I for one, like, a good example is, like, the Smiths. Didn't like the Smiths growing up. Like, it was just like, nah, don't like Morrissey, don't like it. And I had friends like Chris in the band, like, okay, so she'll be big fan, some other mates, big fans, and they would tell me, like, listen to this, listen to this. And I did, and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give them another chance, I'm gonna listen to them. And I just, I get it, like, I totally get it, but I'm just not that in it. Like, I, and I love some of their songs, that's the thing. I do love some Smiths songs, but I wouldn't consider myself a Smiths fan. But I'm quite comfortable saying that, knowing that I kind of, you know, I've listened to the albums and I've, you know, I've watched live stuff. I, I looked at the lyrics, and I, I totally get it. I totally get his his words are amazing, and him and Johnny Marr on the guitar. Like Johnny Marr is one of the best British guitarists of the last fifty years. You know. Yeah, I mean, when you you look at the work he's done in like Modest Mouse and the Cribs and stuff as well. Like it's interesting how he can kind of just mold himself into another band. He's on a few of those tracks. Um, on my playlist. Is there a Cribs one on there? There's a modest... Oh, he's on Float On. He's on the Modest Mouse one. He's on... What was he on? Was he on that song? Yeah, you've got Float On in there. Float On, yeah. I didn't I didn't realise he played on that. I thought that was pre-Johnny Moore. Might be, though, yeah. 
He's in Modus Mouse for sure. I think it is. I, I swear that's one of his riffs. You know the opening riff to that with it. It's such a good riff. Like that. That actually came on on the radio the other day, which I love. That's something that I romanticize about all the time. Like when a great song that you love comes on the radio, it, it like it hits you like a ton of bricks, man. It's like, yeah, it's not the same as just listening to music that you love, which is, you know, I do it every day. But just when you're I don't know, I'd, I'd done a road trip around the States like in 2015 and like we'd bung on, you know, the local radio or whatever and it was just like an old Creedence Clearwater Revival song come on, I'd be like, fuck, it's like the dream, you know? They're a great, they're a great band that I feel like don't get spoken about a huge amount anymore, kind of just in, Creedence, just in general yeah. conversation, you know? There's not a massive amount of talk about them unless there's a Vietnam movie comes out in which case they get <laughs> chucked on the soundtrack for whatever reason. He's like, I mean, John Fogarty... He wrote "Rockin' All Over the World," you know the "Status Quo" yeah, yeah, yeah. hit single. He that he's he released that as a single before "Status Quo" had it out. Hey, he's a an incredible songwriter. Should we go to your next cover? Yes. So the ne- the next one is "Blues Run the Game." I think is that the yeah Jackson C. Frank. What's the story behind that selection? I reckon like that. I that's a song I found out later on as well. Like I, it's obviously an old old song. I think I think Paul Simon produced the version that you hear but the guy Jackson C. Frank had like a terrible life like he just he had that one album that had that song on it and I think like he I'm gonna get this right now he got some inheritance money so he spent it on recording this great album and Paul Simon produced it but for whatever reason it just didn't quite take off and he was down on his luck and I think by the end of his life he was homeless and I think he maybe went blind and I just that's just tragically heartbreaking for me when a guy's written a song even if it was going to be a one hit wonder uh, I mean maybe d- done alright of it I don't know but like just when you hear stories like that it's just it's so sad man it's it really you know it's a cruel world someone said that to me once they said it's a cruel world I was like yeah you're right and there's uh, there's nothing you can do about it <laughs> Catch a boat to England, baby, maybe to Spain Wherever I've gone, wherever I've been and gone Wherever I've gone, the blues are all the same Send up for whiskey, baby, send up for gin me and room service, honey. Me and room service, babe. Me and room service, where we're living the life of sin. When I'm not drinking, baby, you are on my mind. When I'm not sleeping, honey, well, I ain't sleeping, mama. When I'm not sleeping, well, you know you'll find me crying. Try another city, baby, another town Wherever I've gone, wherever I've been and gone Wherever I've gone, the blues come following down 
Living is a gamble, baby. Loving's much the same. Wherever I played, wherever I rolled them dice, wherever I played, the blues have run the game. Maybe tomorrow, baby, someplace down the line, I'll wake up older. So much older, mama. I'll wake up older, and I'll just stop all my crying. Catch a boat to England, baby. Maybe to Spain. Wherever I've gone, wherever I've been and gone, wherever I've gone, the blues run the game. I wanted to um, pick up on something that you said. That, you know when we did an interview back in January, we did the film one. At Morningside? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a quote you said in it. I'm kind of paraphrasing a wee bit. But you said that you spent years feeling weird about not writing exact and like absolute truth in your songwriting. And right, ca- and yeah, kind of yeah, not, yeah. N- not fictionalising anything. I, I was interested. Why do you think that was? And kind of where was that sense of guilt or, or anxiety? Or where was that kind of coming from? I, I think I talked about it before. Like, I've got OCD, right? So, like, that, I mean, that bleeds into so many things, but, like, it gives you mental blocks. So, like, I just, it's like a subconscious thing where I'm, like, right, and I'm like, that doesn't make sense. But I'm not kind of taking a step back, like, and thinking like a kind of a pragmatic songwriter at the time. I'm thinking, like, that doesn't make sense. And I'm just going, mad. that doesn't add up. And then later on, I'll go, oh, that, it doesn't matter. It's just... In in the kind of process of doing it, I'd be I'd get locked in these like traps, <laughs> like of just I, I don't know, just I don't I don't know, man. I don't know why. I, I mean, I've thought about some of these things, but I try not to think about them too much because you can kind of trick yourself again if you worry too much. But I think it was just some sort of fear of like maybe being made a fool of for making a mistake or getting something wrong, you know, that kind of thing. Like just just real, just real self conscious artist bullshit probably <laughs> like to some degree but, i mean like in a lot of the Ellis brother stuff you kind of you kind of i don't know would you say you've managed to overcome it like there's, there's you know there's kind of narrative and slightly fictional elements to some of that to a degree it still happens like I'm, I'm working on a song now that if i'd finished it i'd have played it on the thing because I, I really like the way it flows but i've just there's a few lines that just aren't they're just not working i don't know what it is and i keep going right on Saturday, I'm going to just sit down and write a bunch of random words. And then I do it and I'm like, nah, that they're not good enough. So like, yeah, I, I just, some songs, that like the whole thing comes at once. And that's like, that's what you want 100% of the time. But it happens about 20% of the time. Others, you get most of it and the rest, you just kind of fill it in later. And then I get ones where you've got what you've got. And then the rest of it just isn't, it just isn't coming. It's just not, uh, yeah, it just, I, I for whatever reason, you kind of you kind of get the words you want. <laughs> when you sit down though, and it is kind of when it is flowing, 
Are you are you consciously thinking about it, or is it, or is it a very subconscious thing where the music kind of just comes? Because as someone who doesn't write music, I'm always quite interested by that and how it works. Is it you just sit down, it kind of starts to fall into place, or how does that exactly kind of how does that feel and how does that? It's work? a weird thing. It's like for me, I'll do it, trying to do it, like so sitting down and kind of going right. I'm going to write a song now. Nine times out of ten, like just doesn't work. You might get an idea, or you might like you know it it it. It seems to just come out of absolutely nowhere for me anyway like i'll just be like i'll be sitting in the lounge watching something and like helen's got a little guitar that um i, I taught her some stuff on a while back I'll, I'll tell you the story that's in the lounge and i i'll just pick it up i'll just be singing for like five minutes and she's trying to watch something and then like i'll be like oh this is a thing actually hold on so i'll quickly record it and i'll just not stop recording for like maybe 10 minutes or however long, but then I'll just put it on and listen and go, okay, okay, I like that, I like those words, right, that's a song, I'm going to write that now, and then what I'd usually do in that instance is just fire up the basic version of the song as much as I can, and some of them are the version that you hear on Spotify, that's what those are, like Actor is that, Gem, there's a song called Gem, that's that, like, I basically just drove to the studio and sang like eight takes of it and used my favorite take. Like I say, man, that happens like the least amount of time. If that was what I was doing all the time, I'd be churning out songs like nobody's business. But I think there does come a point where like I've just been sitting on something too long and what ideally would happen is someone else maybe come along and finish it or, or you kind of just leave it and come back to it when, you know, when it when it kind of kind of taps you on the shoulder again. Like, remember me? And you oh yeah, like, and yeah it's it's an interesting thing I, i'm fascinated by it i wish like i wish i knew how to just turn it on all the time but i don't when you turn it if you were to turn it all the time you might be able to turn it off which could then bring its own frustrations in yeah yeah i think so that's yeah you're right i think it wouldn't be good if you could maybe just a few more though like just like 50 or 60 percent you know that it happened it's like the pareto distribution you know the 80 20 thing that's uh that maybe that's what it is some natural law of physics that just kind of stops me from being able to do that all the time but like that is some satisfying feeling if i if i do say so myself when you're just like this is a good sort of like i think it's good and it just came from like i have no idea where like i'm not a you know i don't believe in miracles or anything like that but like it comes from a weird place that i just have no control almost just like falls from the sky in a certain you know that kind really, of thing yeah it really is man and and i do analyze it. i do go is that like have I got that melody from another song or and like a lot of the time I just don't know. And what I what I do know though is that I've recorded the same idea twice at completely separate occasions, being unaware that I'd already done it. So that always makes me go like something someone's somewhere doing something. Like someone's taking the piss somewhere. Someone's just having a laugh at my expense. But yeah, I I really don't know what it is, man. Just one of those things. Like melodies and words and things are all just up there somewhere and they just come out sometimes what well, in the process of like transforming what comes out those kind of ideas to transform that to an actual kind of fully finished song does it tend to change quite a bit or eh, it's really quick if i get it quick like it's just it just is what it is like i mean like actor for example like i threw that guitar and vocal down live without any click or anything and then i just played all the other instruments around it apart from the bass which was gordy i done that in Maybe like five hours, like after I'd recorded the song, I just, everything went down. Gord, I called Gordy, I was like, you need to play this song. And he came up with a bass part there and then. And I mean, that was four years ago. And that's the version that's 
on the EP now. I I, re- I remixed it, and I think I might have added like a, another guitar just to make it sound a bit better. But everything else is as it was. But yeah, other things lose like vibrancy when you keep kind of prodding at them. I find anyway. Are you ever able to recapture that kind of initial raw thing, or does it, is it just kind of impossible to get that completely? I think you can. I think I think you can for sure. People do it all the time. I mean. The National, you know, they. I know that they've recorded like 80 versions of one of the songs that they put out on one of their albums because they just couldn't quite get it right. And I I just, I don't think I've got the patience like to do something like that. I don't think I'd have the spark. But I think, you know, when there's other things that are uh, encouraging you, like people, for example, or like, you know, pressure, things like that, I'd say like I could do it maybe if there was some other kind of pressure, you know, like if... If a guy came up to me and said, I'll give you a million dollars if you do actor in a big studio. And, and I go, yeah, I'll do it. Like, I'll, I'll just get myself in a, a headspace that I'm really comfortable in and, and do it. But it's hard. It's hard for me anyway. It's interesting to think how they would sound if you went into like a, a massive studio and completely expanded them. I imagine it'd be a bit like, are you into Elliot Smith at all? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, again, I don't know his back catalogue, but like I, I've listened. Yeah, yeah. Now the, the kind of progression between two of his records, either or, onto EXO, is it kind of goes from that very intimate thing, kind of some of the stuff you do, and on the record after that, he kind of expands it out, but it, it still works because he kind of keeps that raw songwriting, you know, at the centre of it, and then kind of just builds out from that. Yeah, I think, I think, look, I'm terrible for procrastinating, man. I'm terrible for like just, but when you've got something to do, like if Elliot Smith's kind of like you know, we're, we're going to put an album out on this day and you've got six months. I think, like, if I had something like that, like some sort of deadline, I think I probably would get more done in terms of output. You know, not output, but, like, putting stuff out, you know, releases. But I think because I've just got this, my own time and my own space without having to watch the clock, you know, I was working on that song I was telling you about the other day and while I was doing it, I came up with another thing and I started singing the words, I was going, I don't need another fucking song right now, like, I really don't, And but I had to put it down, because I was like, it's a good melody, so it's just another thing that at some point I'm going to be like, ah, oh, another unfinished song. I mean, there's, uh, there's over a thousand on, like, I've got phones up there, as, like, you'll see them up there as a bunch of iPhones. They've all got a few hundred, like, tracks on them, like those guys, that I probably haven't listened to some of them in a couple of years, a few years, and it's quite... Nice to know that I can always find something to work on if I need to, but it seems to me that I just keep doing new ones, so... But just not finishing them. <laughs> That's the problem. It'd be a task to go back through it as well and kind of dive into all that stuff. Is that just recorded like on voice memos, just like little things? Yeah, I've got an app that's like, it gives you a four-track thing, so you can like overdub a guitar and a couple of harmonies, but I did find uh, this the other day, a dictaphone from I think I got this for my birthday in like early 2000s and I was flicking through the ideas I'm like wow <laughs> like it's just so weird to hear like you're like I hadn't heard it since since then it almost looks like a slightly earlier version you know like the Tascam things I use and I plug the mics in yeah yeah for, yeah uh, did interviews exactly yeah yeah those got good like those ones with the little condenser mics on them are are, are cracking and this one's just effectively a like a phone type thing, but... Um, I think someone was telling me not that long ago that Alex Turner kicks about with like just one of the wee task cam things just to like record all the ideas into it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do like... Yeah, I, I like it. I mean, especially now, like that SD card I've got in it, you can get like 60 hours out of it or something. It's just tons of space just to mess about with. That's a great example of, um, you know, technology really working, 
you know, for an artist or whatever, because I used to walk around with pads and paper and like, I, mean, I still do. I mean, again, like it's a bit of mess in here, but if I open this drawer, this is what you're dealing with. You're just dealing with like endless amounts of like, just... I've got the same. I've always got the notepad next to me. It's great though, isn't it? Like it feels, it feels good to have uh, the, the, the physical thing down. Like I like making lists and, you know, track listings and things like that. No, I, but I much prefer pen and paper. I mean, if I'm on a train or whatever and you're standing up and you, it's, you know, I just jot it down on my phone as opposed to trying to, um, put, you know, you stand up and write in a notepad. But I do prefer having that thing to kind of just, when you kind of get into that state where ideas or any kind of words, alerts, whatever, just free flowing. It's much easier just to have a bit of paper, just to fucking. Yeah, it feels jot, nice jot to like. Denim. It's that. It's that kind of pressure of the the ink. It's like quite satisfying seeing the ink kind of like going on the paper. Really. I thought it's it's kind of become a thing of the past as well. I was speaking to Sam the other day, and he said he can't remember the last time he wrote something down in a bit of paper. Yeah, I I have to confess, I when I'm out, I I do use my phone now when I'm out. It just feels I feel. I feel a bit weird with a pen and paper a lot of the time. I don't know. It's again just self conscious, but like my yeah, my notes. Is, oh, this is a brand new phone. I got this the other day. I got the 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 SE iPhone thing, and it's already like filling up with stuff, just like silly, silly things. Like, but I mean, if I go out for I often quit. If I go out for walks here, you know, I'm going up for like an hour and a half, two hours. I won't bring my phone with me just because I want to go out and and not have it. And I do bring a notepad, you know, just in case I got to note something down. You you do get folk like looking at you like when you're kicking about with it and like walking through just holding a notepad yeah. it's a bit awkward Espe- yeah especially like say like a lot of people just aren't that way inclined like anymore if you were born you know where where mobile phones were just a thing they were always there and the internet was always there and you know a, a digital device is always there like it, it does seem a bit weird that people would use paper I guess there's an argument to like you know the environment and all that like I guess as well but there is something satisfying about paper, for sure, like, and writing on it. And I think if I'm working on a song, there's something about the writing that seems to help the process. Yeah, like you say, it's slightly more free-flowing, especially if you write, like, um, cursive. Writing cursive. And it kind of just it has more of a flow to it. Absolutely. Have you been getting much reading done this year? Yeah, yeah, definitely a lot more since lockdown started. I kind of I reread a lot of the Brett Easton Ellis stuff. Have you ever read him? Nope. Uh, wrote American Psycho. That's probably the thing he's famous All for. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but a lot of his books, like Lesson Zero, Imperial Bedrooms. I kind of I went through a lot of that catalog and read it back, and it's quite interesting. And then Chuck Palahniuk. Palahniuk. Yeah. I don't know how you pronounce it. He he was on Joe Rogan, eh? That's my probably my favorite Joe Rogan. Yeah, it's good. It's really good. And I rewatched him into that. What about yourself? Have you managed to get into? Um. Yeah, I've got through a few so far this year. I've got um. I'm actually reading Hitch 22, you know, Christopher Hitchens' memoirs. I've not read that. I was, funny you mention him, because I've actually been watching quite a few interviews with him lately. Absolutely. Like, just, I love him so much. Eh? Like, I just... I reread uh, God Is Not Great um, a couple of months ago. Really, really great read. Uh, another re- reread was The War of Art. Do you know that one? Why does the name ring a bell? The guy's name's uh, Stephen Pressfield. I also named Rootings of Bell. But I can't think yeah, I don't, I don't really know much of his stuff, but like that's a brilliant book, like really good. Uh, Sapiens as well. We did a thing a few months ago on the site where it was like bands from different areas of Scotland like recommending stuff to check out in lockdown, and there was quite a few people put in Sapiens to read. Yeah, it's it's really great. I I was recommended it by a couple of people. Um, yeah, it's a 
brilliant read. And the guy, the author as well, his name's uh, Yuval Noah Harari, I think, if I got that right. He's he, I think he was. Oh no, he, I don't think he was on Joe Rogan. But he was on something. He's a he's an interesting guy. He's a nice guy. Uh, Sam Harris actually he was on Sam Harris. He wrote a really good um, piece on COVID and what he kind of thinks could be the outcomes of that, which is worth checking out. Oh, I will absolutely. Yeah, that sounds good. But yeah, I've been reading a lot. I have been reading a lot. Yeah. You used to kind of quite often start off your day with doing a bit of reading, didn't you? Before when you were kind of in the studio, have a bit of coffee, do a bit of reading. Uh, yeah, still do. Yeah, that's part of my morning routine. I mean, I don't always get stuff done. I mean, it's. That's, you know, when you ask me, that that is my kind of routine. But a lot of the time I just find myself kind of, you know, not recording or like reading something instead or watching something instead. But I mean, even if it's not, even if it's just not a book that I'm reading at that time, but even just to like pick something like, I don't know, like there's a guy that Dylan got me onto called Rambo, a poet from like the, I don't know, the 19th century, maybe like, and he was really young, like Artur Rambeau, his name is. And it's so dark, man. There it is there. I got that from a, an, like, Dil- an interview that Dylan had mentioned like years ago. And like I haven't read it all, but it's, it's so dark. And also it's, oh, got a bookmark in there. Like he'll read, he'll have been arrested. And then he's had to like write to his uncle to ask him for money to bail him out. And he'll include that as in, in, in his writings because it's so well written. So stuff like that's good just to get the old... The brain going, you know. Have you read Dylan's book of poetry? I can't remember. Is it like a tarantula? What's the name of it? Tarantula. Is it just called tarantula? I haven't read. I've, I've, I know of it, but no, I haven't actually. Is it's it good? quite off the wall. It's kind of what you'd expect, but it's decent. It's good. I think I love Dylan because, like, you just don't know. Eh? That's the thing. I think he. I think he's like more or less just in character. You know what I mean? As Bob Dylan, when you see him, I don't think you ever really get to know who the guy is. Like, I think that's what I love most about him because the. He's just kind of gone, I'm not going to be sucked up by this bullshit, so I'll just create this kind of Bob Dylan character and you'll never know who he really is. That's what it seems like to me anyway, like he just kind of... It's a safety mechanism though, isn't it? You've kind of got to do that. Yeah, I think so, eh? I'll tell you what I've been doing, which is has been so much fun. I've been writing jokes, which I'm not funny, like I could never be a comedian, but I've written some absolutely like golden stuff and I don't know what to do with it. But it's really given me a sense of like it's something I've never done before, and I, I I I don't think I'm good at it. But like the jokes are good in the way that like like I think they're clever or whatever. But like I don't know how to be a comedian. I've never wanted to be a comedian, and I will never be a comedian. But like I do kind of think it's a good way to practice writing, you know, just to work out the the punchline and how they do it. So I'm a huge comedy fan. I think some comedian once said, like, all comedians want to be musicians and all musicians want to be comedians or something like that. Um, How does that the feeling on the catharsis of writing a joke compared to this, that kind of equivalent of writing a song? Is it quite different? Uh, to be honest, I, it's not, I'm not taking it seriously. It's more just something that, like, while I'm writing, it's like an idea will maybe come into my head and I'll be like, that's, I'll never be able to say that to another human being, but that's funny. So I'll, I'll write it down. And I, I've got a friend, like I've got a couple of friends that are comedians. I haven't seen them, either of them in a while. And I did flirt with the idea of like getting in touch and saying like, what should I do with these? But I think that's like rule number one, like you never get in touch with like a comedian and say, hey, I've got some jokes. Be like, be like someone saying, to, you know, a, a songwriter, like, hey, I've written some songs. Do you want them? It's, I think it's the kind of unwritten rule that you just don't, but... 
But yeah, I mean, who knows? Like, it's funny you mention that because I've been watching a lot of Seinfeld in um, lockdown. There's a there's a bit in that where one of the guys goes up to Jerry or Kramer rather goes up to Jerry and he's got like a joke that he's pre prepared and everything, and he's like try to pitch it to him. He's like, oh, this is like better than anything you've ever written. You got to use this. <laughs> Are you into like your TV, your TV or sitcoms or anything at all? I like Seinfeld. I just I just rewatched Sopranos for the fourth time. I've never I've never watched it, but I've, it's one of them. It's on the list. I think I have to say it's 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 my favorite. Like I don't think there's any TV that I like more. I know it quite well, like the way I know you know like Back to the Future or something. Like I I think I know the script of Back to the Future off by heart. I wouldn't say I know Sopranos that well, but I'm really quite in tune with what's going on now. Whereas if you watch it once, there's a lot of layers to like kind of follow, and I think it's definitely something you'd want to watch a couple of times to really get the the essence of it. But it's just it's so well written. Like James Gandolfini is is brilliant. I'd urge you to watch it before the the film comes out. You know the Many Saints of Newark. They do one with his son. Yeah, yeah his son's playing him and. Yeah, if you're gonna watch that, like, I mean, it's it's great, man. It's really, really good. It's really well written, and I think the two of the guys from it, like uh, Michael Imperlioni and oh, I can't remember the other guy's name. Just about they've got Rogan. a podcast. They were on that actually, yeah, but they've got their own podcast out at the moment, talking about it and how they don't think it could have been made today and things like that, which is probably true. There's a lot of stuff that just wouldn't have wouldn't have been accepted. What's that? Uh... Stuff. Just like a lot of sexism, a lot of racism. You know, it, it's a, it's a, it's like a film. So it's there. It's not there to be, it's not glorified, but it's just, it's so kind of true to life. I think that they just done it, they done it the right way. But I think just in terms of the way culture is in general now, just people wouldn't have accepted them doing that. Yeah, I guess it's a fine line, but it is interesting how we've now shifted to a culture where you can't really depict that just in a sense of looking at it. Without it being perceived as being that kind of way, yeah. Because I, yeah, it's weird. I don't know if it's a good thing just to completely ignore it, if you know what I mean, and pretend like it's not a thing. I think it is important to address it in films to some degree, but you just have to kind of do it in an artful and tasteful manner, and it's difficult to strike that balance. It is, yeah. If you want it to be real, but you know, you don't. I, I don't know. It's it's again, man. Another another very complicated thing that like someone might have an opinion on based on just an already existing kind of idea of something that's much more complicated than like a kind of black or white um issue kind of, and yeah yeah exactly but not sopranos though is i mean that, that's something i've kind of noticed at lockdown as well just kind of speaking about that and in, in, in terms of a lot of the movements that are kind of going on at the minute that have been very you know social media based and in, in the same way that you're saying that when you go to a venue that your gut reaction isn't to take out your phone and take a photo when I see a social issue or a movement or something, my gut reaction isn't to post about it, if you know what I mean. Mm. It's to kind of bring it up in conversations and try and tackle it in the real world. But it feels like there's a real, I don't know, I don't know, it feels like you're, kind of, you're supposed to post about it, but I don't know. I don't want to post yeah, about it for that's... the sake of it. It's the kind of dilemma. Because it's not my I natural reaction. So. I agree with you, man. I think, I mean, I, I can't speak for everybody, but from what I can gather, like a lot of people have been posting because they feel that they should and because they... Because it's the right cause to be posting about, but yeah, it's again very complicated. But I'm the same man. I don't tend to engage. I've I posted posted a couple of things. People who I really trust talking about it, like Sam Harris, done a really great thing about the you know the the Black Lives Matter stuff and the police riots and things. And it was he talked about it so well, and 
I I shared that and just said, you know, there's a a lot of crazy shit going on right now, and he, I think this is a a really great piece. I think I just think he spoke about it really well, and I think he's continuing to speak about it as well. He's having other people on his podcast and discussing it. It's not just kind of you know here here it is. It's kind of that's a good podcast actually. I'll share it with you. It's, yeah, uh, I think it's called it's something about the brink. Can we can we pull ourselves back from the brink or something like that? But it's Sam Harris anyway. But yeah, look, I shared the whole thing. I shared Dave Chappelle's thing as well. I thought that was good. You know, I'm a fan of his. The anyway. eight minute was it eight minute the forty six video. Eight forty six. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. thought that was good. It was really raw and obviously hadn't rehearsed it and it wasn't meant to be a a finished kind of special. But he's another guy that I've always kind of. You know, I've always appreciated his opinion on social stuff, and I I just respect him so much for what he did back in the I don't know when he done it, like nineties or two thousands. He kind of walked away. Are you aware of that? Story? Walked away in two thousand four. He moved to Africa, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And can I just? He's come back. I've enjoyed his last. He's done one Netflix special, I think. Has he? Or has he done two? He's done two. He done two together. I think there's two in one. I think is there, in fact. Is there not like I'm sure there's maybe three or four on that. I've seen the last two, I think. I saw the yeah. one he did last year. Sticks um, and stones. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's great. Yeah, he's really good. <laughs> and that's that's right up my street, man. I mean, he's like that's why I can't share any of those jokes I wrote with anyone. <laughs> like, but no, that's that's exactly the type of thing that I'm like really into. Just like very raw social commentary and. Jack about a bull bar as well. Yeah, I like him a lot. I like Bill Burr. He's. Uh, I got a chance to see him and my good friend Tom a couple of years ago, and I. I didn't go. I. I couldn't go, and it was. I was disappointed. I should have went, but it's one of those things. I think uh, it was during the Fringe or whatever. Do you quite often do like quite a regular slot at the Fringe? Are you quite often playing pretty regularly with it? Yeah, I'm usually playing through. Like so, I. I play live usually about three or four times a week, and have done since I was about seventeen. Other than traveling so this is the longest period i've gone in my life other than before i had done it uh, that i haven't gigged it's very weird like very very strange but i play right through the fringe yeah i'm always playing. i remember that being one of the things right at the start of lockdown that i it felt like one of the first things that got pulled completely i think if i remember rightly gigs yeah uh, the fringe i think i remember it getting pulled quite early on it oh i of, see yeah 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 it, it yeah, being one right. of the first signs that this wasn't going to go away for a while yeah 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 I don't have any like fringe shows though. Just I don't want to make out like I've got a fringe. Like I what I'm just regularly playing, and then during the fringe, I tend to get a few more. Just because a lot of appetite for it when everyone's in town. Yeah, yeah, and t- gigs tend to be longer as well. Like we sometimes do five-hour gigs in in, <laughs> in some of the venues, which that sounds like, tough. Oh, like it's like it's really not fun, man. To be honest, but it's oh, well, it is fun, but it's like. You feel that one like for a couple of days, like knacker by the end of it. Just yeah, we used to have a competition to see if we could do them without taking breaks, and we did, we did. But like, you'd get wild headaches and you know real kind of bouts of like anxiety and depression after it because it's just so takes like, everything out of you. Yeah, it really does. Like, I mean, it's not like a drummer, you know, on stage, but go getting up on stage and performing is is a weird kind of release of energy and like doing it for five hours just doesn't really doesn't really make much sense was it the brian jonestown massacre i think he used to or maybe only did it on a few occasions but would play like 10 hour gigs or something have you ever watched uh, the documentary dig about them and the dandy warhols oh yeah it's one of my favorite music ones eh? yeah i'm pretty sure that the bit in it is about um yeah they basically turn up to a show somewhere 
there was only like 10 people there and just decided to play for 10 hours just why not <laughs> he's yeah they're crazy what's his name anton newcomb yeah anton newcomb he's anton a newcomb. yeah yeah fascinating guy yeah he is fascinating complicated and yeah potentially like mentally ill i think probably is a good way to yeah i mean there's there's definitely some paranoia i think or something yeah. something of that what's the term that kind of category you know i think mm. yeah paranoia like yeah, probably he's probably on the spectrum yeah he, exactly. I'd say he's on the spectrum somewhere like just his behavior doesn't quite seem except normal if you if that's even a thing anymore but like yeah but i mean who knows maybe like we've been fed kind of this angle that just he's not really like that at all who knows like with with these kind of things but he does seem like an unusual guy like do you, have you watched like many interviews with him or anything i only really know that and like some of the band's songs and things. Yeah, I mean, I, Tenement TV actually did an interview with him when they played the Barrowlands. Really? And he comes across in that as fine, but there's definitely an intensity about him in the way he mm. speaks that is, there's something where he's slightly, you almost like maybe slightly on edge. Yeah. There, there's definitely an intensity and, yeah, that's probably the best word for it. There's something I feel about sorry him. for people like that, man, because I do think that a lot of the time it's just they're up in their head and like from someone who's like kind of, you know, personally, like mental health had i've had issues with it like throughout my life and like it's it's just one of those things you know a lot of people do and i do with with people like him he does get kind of just branded as a kind of psycho or you know a dick and it's like there's more to it than that i think he does kind of he probably is just kind of wants everyone to understand where he's coming from and just societally it's just not accepted you know what i mean and i think again a lot of layers going on there it's fascinating how that translates to such incredible music though I wonder yeah. what's going on there, like why, what that connection is and why that is happening. That's the million dollar question, I guess, eh? Like, what is it that's, it's like, it's like the Scott Hutchison thing. We all love, you know, a lot of his music and like he suffered so much for that, but I think he'd done the best he could, you know, with what he had to hand, you know, write about it and make, make fun of it, you know, make light of it. And that's probably, you know, why he's one of the, one of the best lyricists Certainly, one of the best lyricists Scotland's ever, ever seen. It, some of that, yeah. I mean, I, I remember watching back a few interviews of him though, and it can be tough to watch now. Just, oh, really? He did one um, with Google back in like the the March of the year, and um, yeah, it's it's tough looking back at it. But where did what was yeah. your frightened rabbit kind of story? Did you what did you kind of were you aware of them when I think when that first album came out? You'd have been pretty young, I'd say. First album was 2009, I think, was it? Oh, okay. So you'd have been about eight or nine or something like that? Eight, yeah. Probably a little, a little young to, to delve into like some of those. Or, did, or were you aware? I don't know. No, no. I wasn't even aware until his passing. Yeah, I, I, how big were they? Like, how big kind of are they? It's tough to tell. I, I've got this false memory of playing with them at the mill in Edinburgh, which was a, a short a short-lived night that was actually a great thing. It was Miller, Miller Beer was the kind of sponsor and it was like the Caves and Cab Vol and they'd done a run of gigs that like Frightened Rabbit played. I don't think we did play with them, but I must have seen him at it, but I didn't, like, I, I wasn't really aware of them. I'd heard the name and I knew that, I knew that they were friends with maybe We Were Promised Jetpack, something like that. I wasn't that aware of them, man. I, I, I was late to the party with that one, but like they weren't that big at the time when Midnight Organ Fight came out. Like I don't remember there being 
a particular kind of frenzy or fuss kind of commercially. I think it was just they had a really good fan base. And the third album was was recorded in Penn Caitland, actually, which is where I am in uh, a studio called Castle Sound, which is about a three minute walk from my house. Bet they're shaking in their boots now that I've got this baby. <laughs> but no, they recorded that there, and I think maybe that was like a step up. But it was the fourth album that really projected them into a kind of much bigger American. They were playing. They were certainly playing like American, like arena type gigs. I think by then and touring a lot. But yeah, they weren't. They weren't like you know, like the Killers or Kings of Leon or anything like that. They just were. A band that seemed to be doing well, like a good band that were doing well, but they weren't. They had their fan base, and they were kind of very well appreciated by the musical community overall. Yeah, cr- of... certainly, like always credible, for sure. But I no, I was I was never a you know like a diehard fan. I liked Midnight Organ Fight a lot, and I knew all the kind of albums that came out. But no, I, I just thought he was just an incredible lyricist and. The music, I mean, uh, the music's, yeah, the music's great. Uh, it's just, just one of those things. They were never my, I was never like a super fan or anything like that. But uh, all my friends are, most of my friends are really, really into them. What is your kind of go-to? What is your region of music you would identify yourself with? Probably that playlist speaks for itself. I mean, Fright, Frightened Rabbit are are a great band. It's like The National, you know, I love The National as well. But again, they're not like my favourite band. I think of all that, out of all that kind of like, early knots kind of indie rock stuff you know from i like to think of the strokes as kind of the the pioneer there were certainly other bands kicking around before that you know the white stripes and things but i like the walkman the walkman kind of i've always really loved his voice and they're one of my favorite kind of indie rock bands of the, that kind of era and he's he's still around such a good drummer he's great like um he's in muz now we were talking about them the other day that's a belter out of the blue album, that one, like it's great. <laughs> really great. I I think I don't know how I I just heard a song one day and I was like, What is this? And then I was like, Sounds like someone and then I was like, Oh yeah, it's the boy for Interpol and then what's his name? Paul Banks. Yeah, Paul Banks. Do you know he's he's staying in Edinburgh now? He's staying in Edinburgh. He's been in Edinburgh over lockdown, yeah. That's weird. You need to keep your eye out. <laughs> ask if he wants to demo some tracks. <laughs> But yeah, you know, that that album is uh, he is a he is a, a an exceptional drummer. Um, uh, what's his name? Matt. Well, Matt Barrick. That's his name. Yeah, Matt, Matt Barrick. Barrick. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's really good. Like, yeah, I think. I do, how aware are you with their kind of back catalogue in general? Do you know a lot of their albums or kind of? I know Bows and Arrows pretty well. Right. Yeah. 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 That was the big breakthrough. It was the second album, I think. Is that right? Yeah. 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 The album after it's so pretty had, good though as well. The first album's called. Everyone who pretended to like me is gone. Then bows and arrows. Then... What an album title for the first record. I know, right? <laughs> it's a good album as well. It's a, it's a similar vein to bows and arrows, but it's just a a little bit more kind of raw. Um, bit more unvarnished. Think, yeah, but like laterally, the stuff was like the reason I put a couple of Walkman songs on that playlist is because the they do like real soft. Like, did you hear New Country? Is that on there? Yeah, I think so. Actually, yeah. It's just a guitar and vocal. That that song that song gets me every time, man. It's in that film Fifty Fifty. You know that film with Seth Rogen and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Powerful. I think it's yeah, yeah. I think it's just when he kind of goes for chemo for the first time, and his girlfriend stays in the car. She's like, "Oh, can I just stay here?" Or 
and that song starts playing and it just gives me chills it's such a a poignant like kind of moment to use that song and unexpected as well but yeah new country is uh, is a beautiful song that's my one of my favorite like indie albums you and me by the walkman loads of brass though loads of strings and brass um not as kind of gritty as the the bows and arrows kind of stuff you ever thought about that be you ever thought about what ellis better would turn up with brass and kind of getting some strings in I mean, I've done I've done a few tracks. I, did, I got a guy in to do... There might even be one on Bandcamp that I did with Brass, actually. But I've done, like, a handful of tracks, but the tracks themselves didn't quite work out. But it wasn't a slight on the Brass at all. The Brass was great. But I've got some key stuff that's quite good for doing Brass with, but it's, it's never the same. But, yeah, I'm a fan of I'm a fan of that, for sure. I was noticing the new EP... Uh... Low hanging fruit part one. When it was that April, you stuck up in Bandcamp a while back. I just bunged up, didn't I? <laughs> just like, <laughs> just take it all, just take it all. Yeah, yeah. I think it would have been sometime in the early lockdown. Yeah. I, I, it's, I feel like it's a wee bit more guitar driven. That's kind of a fair assessment. It's kind of more, it's kind of riffs, you know, as opposed to the kind of previous Ellis Brothers stuff that had gone out. Although it's also guitar heavy, but the new one's kind of more riff powered, you know. Yeah, I think yeah, probably. Probably I'm trying, and in, in all honesty, I'm trying to remember the track list. And those that starts with actor, doesn't it? Part one. Yeah, sweet and vicious is on it. The single that yeah, came out. Yeah, yeah, talk boy. Yeah, yeah, you're Talkboy, right. It's yeah. quite, quite kind of heavy there. A lot of those songs were done before the previous songs, another EP. So. You're kind of moving away from it, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But it's but weird because it's going out in reverse. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'll ever have a kind of. I'll always go back and forward with things like that because I, I like I love picking up the electric guitar, man. I just love you know again. So lucky to have this space, but like just bunging the amp on and like cranking it and yeah, having a heavy like Nirvana. You know I love Nirvana. Still, I've always had that that thing that kind of big lift in a chorus with dirty guitars playing power chords and that. That's great. Yeah, you still like uh, Jesus doesn't want me. I think didn't you their cover. Oh, oh that's yeah, playlist, I think yeah, 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 From yeah. The MTV, the Vaseline's track that was so the original version of that song was recorded at Chamber. I was about to say yeah, the Vaseline's did a lot of their stuff there, didn't they? Or they only did two albums, did they? Two records at the time, I think they done. I mean, I don't know actually. Yeah, was it one or two? But that that song would have been done there when they done it with Jamie. I actually recorded with uh, at Chamber before Graham had it with Jamie, the old the old engineer. Uh, done. An OK Social Club EP there, but it was I don't think it won't be online. But I, I think some of the tracks maybe made it to the album anyway. But yeah, it's 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 a it's a great Edinburgh studio. When did you first kind of start getting into doing like your softer sex? I was speaking in the EPs, a bit more guitar driven, much at the first OK Social Club album. But then that second record you stick out, you've got a lot more kind of softer stuff on it. And um, oh, I forget the name of the song. Is it Women and Children First? It's a really kind of soft one. Oh, the OK Social Club. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think always, man. I think before. Before the OK Social Club, there was a lot of kind of like more chilled things. And like when I was younger, before I kind of released anything, I'd done a lot of acoustic stuff, always been a, an acoustic fan. But I think the band, the OK Social Club was kind of, it was always about the kind of heavy, mostly about the kind of heavy guitars. We were just, we were really into like those bands, you know, the Strokes, the early Kings of Leon. That was the kind of model at the time. I think we, certainly for our first album anyway, Arctic Monkeys, all those you know, good indie guitar bands. We were we were fans, and that definitely came through. I think for mo- for a lot of bands, you know, that that were that were out around. I there. mean, that was kind of just as the peak, I guess, was kind of starting to kind of level out a wee bit. But that was kind of coming right off the back of that mid 
not easy, you know, massive kind of indie scene. Yeah, yeah. I feel like yeah. indie music's kind of been stuck in a rut a wee bit lately, though. It's not really progressed past that. It's not really had the new thing. Interesting. See, I'm, I have to confess again, I'm, I am a little bit out of touch. I mean, through Liam and some of the gigs I've done with those guys in your cell, I'm more aware now of, like, what's happening in the UK, even, to a degree. But I'm not, I'm not in touch with it. I have to say, I don't really know what's going on uh, very well. But it's still, it's still very much kind of guitar, pop driven, is it? Yeah, it's very. I mean, I was having a conversation with someone about it recently that it feels disposable. Is maybe the the word I would go for? It's. Right, I mean, right. when I was having this chat, we were speaking about the fact that because of streaming, music is now free. It kind of means that a lot of the stuff that is quite throwaway becomes a lot more successful because people don't have to pay for it. You know, right. they can just listen to it for nothing. Which is an interesting yeah. thing to think about, that it kind of shifts the, the, the template of the landscape a little bit. That's a, that's a good point. It's interesting. I uh, I should probably make the effort to get more in touch with what's happening, but I, I, I do do just feel kind of detached from it a, a bit, I guess. But maybe because I did the guitar indie thing for quite a long time. I was going to say who's guilty, but I don't, I don't mean that, like, don't name anyone. But, like, is it, like, is it a UK thing? Is it, like, a is it everywhere? Or is or are you finding... Scotland. Um, I'd say it's probably a UK thing. I mean, I don't know, man. It's like, where does someone like revolutionise guitar music now? Like, is that still possible in what we would consider? Like, when you look at, there's, I mean, there's a lot of bands that are big in the charts. Just people dislike them because they feel it's quite commercial, I suppose. Well, I was going to mention sports team. I don't know. You, I seen you got you done an interview with those guys. Yeah, they were cool guys. They were nice. Yeah, I thought I like I quite liked their stuff. Like, I heard like something. I was like, yeah, and I, I get that it's not like some new revolutionary like but it's good it's good catchy tunes like i like his delivery and things like that it's a bit jagger-esque isn't he yeah and he reminded me of like it's maybe like pavement do you remember that that band oh, a little bit of crooked rain crooked rain <laughs> yeah 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 so like yeah that that kind of thing i thought like they reminded me of but like where do they where do you see them fitting into something like that or is that not fair when you've interviewed them <laughs> Um, the, I I like sports team. I I guess I kind of wanted that album to be like the album of this year, and it it felt like a very safe record. I think to an extent, to be perfectly honest, just because a lot. I mean, some of those tracks that came out like two three years ago. Oh really? Like the singles and stuff. Yeah, which is weird. Like seven, there was there was a twelve song album, and seven of those songs had already been out. Right. Okay. I mean, I think in years to come, if you take that as an album on its own, and you don't have that. People will probably like it. It's just yeah. it's quite it's quite hard for those songs to have the same immediate impact of a new album when I've been listening to them for like a year, a year and a half. If you know what I mean. That's interesting. I was going to mention that to you earlier about so because I I was thinking about bunging a couple of my old tracks on an album just because my releases have been relatively low key. I figured, you know, a lot of people haven't heard them and would would they benefit from a bit of different production and some fresh? But is that would you say that's kind of like is that taboo? Should people be churning out constantly, putting out new stuff, do you think? I think or? it's different because obviously you're saying that it's not had the same kind of exposure. I think when you've made your name off those tracks like they had, it then kind of feels cheap just to stick it on an album because you know people right. are going to like it. It's, it's safe, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, okay. Now that makes sense. But then I guess for your point of view, if you're taking it into a studio and adding a bit of production on it, it's doing something a little bit different, I suppose. You could do some different things with them. Yeah, I mean, having a, a band interpret things is always good you know like i mean you've seen us live you know before lockdown and things and there was definitely something else going on there was a new vibe and we, we weren't there but i feel like one of my friends said like oh it feels like you've found your tribe or something like that and i like that it, like 
we had a bit of a kind of momentum and it was just so short lived because it was just like lockdown, you know. But I think that's that's always good to take a band out on the road and break songs in and then go back to the studio and kind of revisit. I like to think of the stuff I've done as almost like demos, but at the same time, I kind of like them like that. You yeah, know? I mean, that assembly room show you did retro, like it sounded big on that stage. Really? That's you know, it, it carried in the room. That's good to hear. That was a, that was an odd experience. It was a wonderful experience, but like just to to play to that many people, like it felt it felt weirdly undeserved that we'd be playing a gig like that. Like I'd be playing a gig like that with with my band because like I haven't really earned it. Like with Ella's brother, you know, I've just been fooling around, and I happened to be friends with the guys, and they were very kind to like offer the slot. But like it was it was a really great experience to be doing that again, and very aware that the gigs after that probably weren't going to be as uh, as big you know but like yeah it was it was really good they were amazing at that gig as well like so tight and energy and stuff like that it reminds me of when we used to gig a lot and just having that they're a lot cleaner than us like they're a lot like like what's the word i can't think of a good word i think that's what liam always jokes isn't it he just sounds like a retro video club just sound like okay social club but a bit heavier yeah, but more polished as well, like live, like they've got all the kind of tracks and like it's very precise and like they're really great at that. Like we, we that was that was ultimately what the OK Social Club was kind of aiming towards. But there was always that undercurrent of DIY, which probably to, to a fault, like I was always trying to get that. I always loved the scrappiness of things. And I think OK Social Club probably would have benefited had... Like Liam managed us or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's like, no, 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 you can't do that. Do this, and I think that he's. Uh, they're great. They're great guys, and I hope that they really. I mean, they done well with um, online, obviously, but playing live is where they're at. They must really be feeling it now. I'd say when you're on the edge of trying to keep pushing for it, and suddenly your momentum gets taken out from yourself. That's when it hits you hardest. Having said that, though, going back will be all the more sweet. I think. You know when they eventually when they eventually can and fucking who knows when that's going to be. But like, I mean, I think they're in an okay. I think they're in a reasonably safe place. I think bands that maybe a few times smaller than them are going to be the ones that it's going to be a much more even platform when they return because they don't have this. They don't have that devoted fan base like Red Retro doing strong in Scotland at the minute. It'll be very frustrating for them in England, I imagine, because that's really where they're trying to keep pushing it at the minute and get it to catch off there. I think they were meant to have done a tour, eh? Like during the week before, yeah. Week before lockdown came in. Oh no, week after. Sorry, lockdown came in. The tour was yeah, supposed yeah. to start, which would have been. I reckon that would have been quite a an important tour for them, like the timing and everything, eh? But I'm glad they didn't. Like eh? Scottish band kills millions and like <laughs> tour, like, like willy nilly tour. <laughs> I think from an ethical point of view, though, most bands were pretty. They would have done the right thing. I mean, I was speaking to the guy who does like guitar tech and for you know blossoms. Oh yeah, they, yeah, like from they pulled it before they needed to, just from an ethical point of view. But it's not safe; we don't want to put the tour on, which is nice to think that people still kind of have that side. I remember losing my mind over like there was a. I'm sure there was like a Stereophonics gig or something. Yeah, in Aberdeen. Oh, was it in Aberdeen? I'm pretty sure it was at the Tekka. Yeah, and it went. And on. I was like, "What is? How is this going ahead? Like, surely, like it's not going to go." And I, and I seen the videos. I was like, "Oh my god, we're doomed. We're that's it. It's over." But obviously, that was. Slightly dramatic. I mean, who knows? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that probably was bad timing. Like, so that was in Aberdeen. Pretty sure was they it? had one in Aberdeen before everything kicked off. Capaldi was in Aberdeen on the Sunday, oh, and on the yeah, Monday they announced. Well. Yeah, 
That was right on the edge. Like on the Monday they announced that yeah, over five hundred gigs shouldn't be happening, and he just did a sold out seventeen thousand cap show or whatever. What do you think someone like him will be after all this? Because obviously he was like riding the wave of Capaldi or whatever. Do you think he'll be able to pick up where he left off? Or he probably peaked on his first album, but that guy's set for life. Oh yeah, yeah. So what is hot in Scotland now then? What was what was happening? You know, other than Lewis Capaldi before lockdown what was do you mean at a local level or more uh kind of slightly pushing for big things i don't know <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what i mean I, I don't know anymore i just like what was good what what, what would you recommend listening to the uh i mightn't have heard van ives i would say are a very good band I'd recommend oh yeah i know those guys yeah i know those guys yeah, yeah. heights are really good if you know them they just signed to warner heights heights h y y t s Oh, I've seen, I've definitely seen their name around, yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't know them though. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the kind of most interesting stuff in Scotland at the minute tends to kind of be more in that kind of poppy domain, going in that direction. You know, people like Joseph who are doing really well. St. Martins, have you know them from Dundee? Um, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> I don't, I'm sorry. I think, there's too many bands, this is the issue, like when you see when you put them on the spot, I'm like, but yeah, those yeah. are the kind of cool poppy ones. I mean... If you're looking at it from a punk point of view, bands like Cheap Teeth and Pleasure Heads, I think, are really well accomplished songwriters. Um, Cheap Teeth, yeah, I'd really recommend checking them out. I know, I, from, I think I'm aware Edinburgh. of them from you, actually, Cheap Teeth. I think I maybe... Did you do a thing with them, like, a while back? Yeah, I mean, I've done quite a few reviews and stuff, and we did an interview with them as well, filmed. I think I maybe checked them out off the back of uh, seeing one of your interviews. Might have been, but yeah, I'm aware of they, those guys. What about yourself? What's the stuff you've been into? The new stuff? Or just anything. What have you been listening to? Throughout lockdown, I'm trying to think if there's anything new that I did. I don't know if there's, I don't know that there's anything new. I've been listening to a lot of like one thing I do like about Spotify is like the algorithms do work quite well. So when it kind of picks stuff that you're meant to like, it tends to be quite good at that. A lot, a lot of sixty stuff, man. Like a band called the Zombies that I only knew a track or two. They've got some belters. That uh, and... that album Odyssey and Oracle is really sick. Oh yeah. yeah, I got quite into them when I was kind of like fifteen or whatever. Actually, I discovered recently I've got an i like you know like one of them iPod Shuffle things from when I'm like fifteen that's just loaded for like sixties and seventies music. Oh wow, that's awesome! I think I want to say I was quite similar to you. Like when I was a teenager, I was really into fifties. Like I really liked Jerry Lee Lewis, Chuck Berry, like Little Richard, all those. Uh, he died, eh? Of course. Yeah, sad to see. Not that long ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, a lot of those then it was like best ofs and things like that and compilations because like. I don't know, buying an album was a big deal when you were like a young kid, you know, you can't just, it was a, a big commitment when you didn't have any money. Yeah, I mean, I guess when I was growing up, I, I kind of almost did it by the years, like I got into the 60s stuff, then I got into the 70s stuff, then I got into the 80s stuff, then I got onto like the Oasis and Blur and British 90s stuff, the and, then, pop, yeah. and then like Suede and stuff like that, and then from there, I then went into like all your kind of 2000s indie boom, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah, is, yeah. I feel like, is a slightly weird way to go about it, going through it almost like chronologically. But I don't think it was well, deliberate. I, mean, I think it just happened that way. It's kind of like just living it out, kind of being a, being <laughs> a kind of, you know what I mean? Just kind of seeing it through. I can't, I couldn't think of the order that I heard things like. Certainly, like fifties and sixties was like fifties, sixties, and eighties, and then seventies. I think I'm trying to, I'm trying to work it out in my head now. Fifties, sixties, seventies, and then eighties, and then probably just slightly behind with the kind of 2000 stuff like just never quite on the pulse you know what i mean like there's a few things though yeah 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 as i was like early first album's good and 
what's the album with the egg cracking on the front of that really iconic cover? You know where it's the, the kind of hand holding it and the egg's just bursting out. Is that it's the got, the third one? Yeah, it's got heads will roll and stuff on it. And oh Ma- yeah, no, Maps is the first album. Sorry, no, Maps is on Fever to Tell. On Fever to Tell, which is the second. Maybe I'm thinking the second is the first then. So that's the album I knew well was Fever to Tell. When that came out, I was like all over it. I was like into it when it came out. I th- I think they might have had one out before that. To be fair, but those were one of the bands that like like I was into them before I was into the Strokes. But yeah, everything's just out of time. I guess the, I guess they're kind of that same similar you know New York thing, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Have you seen the uh, the song on there called "Sing to Me" featuring Walter Martin and Karen O? I've not. It's a really nice song. Yeah. So like I, the story I was going to tell you earlier was that I was in the Netherlands where Helen grew up, and I was just listening to music. And this song, I heard it. I can't remember where. It was in the middle of the night, and I woke Helen up, and I was like, "You got to hear this song. It's so good." And I showed her it and she was like, it's a really nice song. And we just really dug it. And she was recovering at that point from her treatment. And so she wasn't working. We were effectively in a lockdown. And we decided that we were getting married in like a year. We decided that we would not tell anyone, but I would teach her guitar and we'd play a song at her wedding because we couldn't dance. We were never going to do a first dance. So we sang that song at her wedding without anyone knowing that Helen was learning guitar. It's a really beautiful song. And I'm pretty sure they used it in a fucking Apple advert right after that. <laughs> Just to twist it. I was going to say, I that was quite a nice story to kind of wrap the podcast up on and head into your last um, last track. Uh, the last track you're doing is Act With A Load Of Starter Gun, which is off the last EP, Low Hanging Fruit Part 1. Part 1, yeah. yeah but cheers yeah. for coming on, man. I appreciate you coming on. Oh, Say thank I you before we're heading on to it. Really appreciate you having me, man. Thank you. Um, ah, it's good to catch up. It's been well. I haven't seen you since uh, what January is it? Mm, start of February, I think, like February sixth, something like that. Oh yeah, no, sorry, you're right. I'm getting yeah, yeah, February. Where are we now? July. Oh, I don't see that. It's crazy, man. No, but I'd love, I'd love to do it again. Do another one at some point for sure. We might have missed out some of the songs that I put on that playlist, <laughs> talking about <laughs> other things. But yeah, cheers again, man. No worries. Thank you. so long all enjoy last place except the wiseacre ones pulling the strings dangling and tasting things in front of us just close enough that we can all get a taste enough to want more of this stuff it'll get you off your face the first time like falling in love enough's enough Oh, but we all know that enough's never enough But we'll never get the chance to take a bonafide pay 
Flicking through 800 channels when only four did suffice What happened to fun with a board and some dice? Never the game I guess And the stakes are all for real but just mean so much less To the one spinning the wheel while we're spinning it out They can all bail at any time And just when the shit gets real Close to the blade of the fan They all throw the blame and make for the van Leaving the rest of us to take the heat and raid the land I was happy on the island, I don't know about you I don't need to though and I don't really want to It makes no odds We're all stuck on this boat with me as I try and get along In the rain, stuck in this place for so long. We're not in any danger, just been in the game too long. It's irrational, but we're all scared of the answer with a loaded starter gun. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW.